Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocTalk. ZocTalk is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocTalk is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc dot com slash drink. Hi, Christine. Good morning. Good morning. It is morning to me, (laughs) not to you, but... Not to me, but I'm still tired, so it's okay. Uh, hello and welcome. Good morrow. Good morrow to it. That's why we drink. And also specifically, Christine, since you're the one I am looking Thank at. Thank you. How are you? How, uh, good. How are you? We're both very like chatty and like giddy today. I, well, maybe it's just me and I'm projecting, but I feel like I'm very like uh, frenetic today. I don't know. Oh, I love frenetic, Christine. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I know. I, I agree with you. I think I'm... I mean, I was gonna say I think I'm a little sleep deprived, but honestly, it would be weirder if I wasn't at this point. So I don't really know. I think we're both just uh, in the same headspace and matching the waves, yeah. and therefore yep. we are we are one. You know, we are one. Also, I wanted to. <laughs> Sorry, that's not okay. I, it was is more than okay to be clear. <laughs> Put that on the record, Eva. Write that down. M approved of my singing. M, why do you drink this week? I'm just curious. That makes me feel like you've got a reason why you drink. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I don't have a specific reason. I mean, this is a pretty nice week. I mean, compared to the last couple weeks, I feel like it's been like really insane. So it was nice to like take a breather this week. Um, I do want to say really quickly, this is like someone reached out and said, hey, Bohemian Grove, did you know that there was a like a superhero at Bohemian Grove? Um, which, which like, by the way, I researched it and it's like, this guy like wasn't the best, but there was a guy who liked to cosplay as 
his own created superheroes and like oh. try to like save locals i don't know but he he went to bohemian grove one time his name was richard i just want to bring this up before we get off track and we will uh but there was a guy named richard mccaslin and apparently he in 2002 he like raided the bohemian grove as his own made-up superhero called the phantom patriot so i guess that's why i drink uh but he apparently that's why i drink too what he saw he saw the documentary that i mentioned by alex jones and he like freaked out that kids were in danger and so he oh i see he went to go he broke in and he planned on like burning down like the the big owl no not me (laughs) but he didn't realize he didn't realize it was made out of concrete so when he got there he was like well what the fuck and so he ended up trying he didn't do a very good research he literally i think did a hot nun of it but he ended (laughs) up uh trying to burn up down a building instead but he got caught and then there was like some like standoff with the cops anyway he also like just learning more about like some of his like interests and stuff it sounds like he would like be in QAnon today so Oh, dear. I don't want to, like, give this guy too much credit, but someone did reach out and say, like, oh, like, a superhero who looks a lot like Captain America. Um, Oh, boy. Also, like, Phantom Patriot. It's like Captain America and ghosts made a superhero together. It it fits. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's why I drank, because apparently there was a superhero I didn't even mention in my research yesterday. Wow. Or that, super villain. Uh, I'm not sure. But he he's not here anymore. He died. So I, I don't. Oh, no. I don't feel too nervous he's going to come after me about my opinion but he seemed like someone who would be in QAnon, so it kind of freaks me out anyway yikes well uh why do you drink i had no idea that's part of it now i guess okay Um, but also (laughs) because that whole episode was bonkers uh but what else oh oh so this is coming out after so i feel safe saying it but blaze is gone for the next few days not that i like don't feel safe when he's not here but mostly just because i get paranoid when i you know, you're not supposed to say when people are, home, yeah. whatever, at True Crime 101. But uh, Blaze is leaving town for a few days to visit his family because he's bringing a car. He got a new car. It's a whole thing. And uh, that is so not interesting. But <laughs> uh, so M has to hear it outside of the podcast. But um, he's gone for a few days. And, like, I've just been feeling really weird. And there's uh, – the footsteps have gotten, like, super loud to the po- – like, on the stairs to the point that – Oh, my that- God. I know to the point that when Blaze and I are like both in bed, like reading or whatever, we'll be. I'll be like, "Did you hear that?" And he's like, "Yes, I heard it. I don't want to talk about it." And we're like, "What is that?" And the cats are in our bed, and the worst is when they all kind of look up at the stairs, and it, it's happening so much now that <laughs> I'm like, and that I'm not, and I've never been here alone for like several days at a time, so I'm not looking forward to that. Christine, you need to um, be recording these sounds and shit. How do you know, know there's not someone that just be. lives in your house, like in those horrible, scary stories? Because I checked, because you know how I look under beds and I did look you under... look in the vents? Or in... I did because Juniper likes to climb in there. Oh my god! <laughs> but I no, I, I I mean maybe you're right, but they're not very. Uh, I was going to say they're not very secretive about it, but like obviously they are if I haven't found them yet. Um, I will. What I do it like a real real lunatic is I put a bunch of stuff in front of my bedroom door at night. And uh, no, I would too. I would do that's the same how they're thing. gonna not come near me. I mean, I, I really don't think anything's gonna happen, but it is like putting me on edge. And I haven't been home like here alone for several days in a row, so I will update you. Um, so someone also reached out and was like, Christine, like, this is a demonic presence, and I honestly don't think it's a like, I don't feel in danger. Like, they were like, oh, the covers thing, but even when I got the covers pulled off, nothing ever felt like 
ominous like i'm going to, and i've lived in places that were like something bad is here but yeah. i don't feel like that at all i just feel like some weird energy is going on so i'm not like in fear for my life but i am creeped out let's just put it that way is it is your is your mom's house safer spiritually like do you think probably like, do, i was gonna say I, do you I think you could better. just you could just <laughs> run home like if things get too scary I could, but I can't really take all the animals with me because she has cats. So um, I would be, have to abandon Geo here, and you know he's my yeah. firstborn. I don't, I don't <laughs> feel comfortable leaving him with the demons. Um, they're not demons, to clarify, but I don't feel comfortable <laughs> leaving him here. Um, so maybe if I get desperate enough, I will probably run away, run home to mom, crying. Ugh, but wow, we'll see. You need to make we'll a friend who can just take Geo, and then you can just fend for yourself. That's the one thing that terrifies me <laughs> about like having another life to have to take care of it's like when your version of the end of the world is happening like you gotta just be able to take care of you like if all of a sudden there was like look out for number one (laughs) yeah like if all of a sudden there was a bunch of spirits in my house then like maybe they were demons and i couldn't flee because i had a dog i'd be like you know what fuck that like i was like i just i just want to take care of myself no or i better be able to like hoist the dog over my shoulder and go somewhere else you but know? i also feel like with the dog can you know Gio would he, he wouldn't protect me but i feel like a lot of dogs would be protective of their owners not mine particularly but you know i feel like it's, it's even scarier though is... it's even scarier though like in terms of ghosts like who like what is he gonna protect you from like he's just gonna yeah, stare like, at a corner what's, what's it gonna do to me right like scare me I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've reported on too many stories at this point of fantastical stories. So like, I have no idea what the limit is at, at this point. But you know what the good news is about having pets is that if one of them is not in the room, you can always say, oh, that was just the cat. It's so oftentimes it is, but it is so easy to just be like, oh, I'm sure one of the animals just like dropped something or was going up the stairs. So I guess so. I wonder if it that... happens so often you just get used to s- noises mm-hmm with animals okay. i mean no i know i'm thinking i wonder if that at all uh like i'm all, because i don't have any animals when i hear a sound i'm on high alert every time right right but like, like you get so used to it once you have pets that like you don't even notice most of it because you're like oh they're just and juniper stomps so loudly like he literally like slams his feet in the ground <laughs> that like at this point i can probably just hear a man walking around and be like oh june silly silly juniper but since I'm always on high alert because I don't have any animals to blame things on, I would mm-hmm. imagine your anxiety level goes even higher when all of a sudden there's an animal, when all your animals are in your bed with you. That is when it gets a little bit too much. Yes. I feel like that would be even more <laughs> jarring than me always at the same baseline of terrified. That's that's true. Because, because you've got another yeah. reason to, to really be scared now. Well, and, like, I haven't lived in an apartment for a while because even in L.A. we shared that, like, we had a bunch of people in a house. But, like, now being in a house by myself is so much scarier because, I mean, most of these stories you watch on, like, these paranormal shows, they're in a house. You know, when these things happen, they're not in, like, an apartment complex, you know, so it's it's Make Zandy come stay with you. Make Zandy and your – well, have, like, a whole sibling sleepover thing. I was about to, I was going to say earlier too, like, it's very easy for me to convince my brother and sister to just spend the night because I have so many snacks. So that might be just what I do. <laughs> Perfect. 
Well, I wish you the best. And if you Thank don't you. FaceTime me the next time there are I loud <laughs> stomps, I'm going to be furious. You're or, not going to answer. The, for the next three days, you're not going to pick up your phone. Like, nope, I don't want to be a part of it. Or as Christine says, I'll just send her a smiley face emoticon because <laughs> we got a too big discussion about this. Christine, I don't know. Apparently, I send a lot of smiley faces to an unnerving level where Christine's like... No, no, like, you don't send them often, which is why they unnerve me when you do... Like, like not emojis. I mean, like, colon, The emoticon. Yeah, like, colon uh, parentheses smiley face. And they always seem so, like... I don't know. I'm always like, oh, no, M's mad at me every time you send me one of those. I, I'm sorry that I type like a dad, to be fair. I, uh, I sometimes they're just easier because it's the colon's right there. That's what the M says, but right then, there. I, then I went on full, you know, lunatic mode and I searched smiley fa- that smiley face in our text convos. And every time M sends it, it's like after I've sent something that I've dropped the ball or <laughs> I messed something up. And M always sends a smiley face. And so I think I've just started to associate it with like, I've done something wrong, and then I'm like, "It's okay, smiley face," or "Sure, smiley face." I'm like, I feel oh my like gosh. I'm, I feel like I'm just trying to go the extra mile to make you not feel nervous. I don't know, but maybe uh, that's what it is, and I'm just, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I won't. I that doesn't matter. Nobody cares about that. But anyway, uh, if that's... I find out that there are any more steps in your house, I'm just gonna send you a smiley face and be like, "No, wish, then I'll wish know I heard about, about it. it. Wish I knew. <laughs> then I know I'm about to expire. Thank you. Anyway." Very much. Anyway, uh, good luck. I don't envy you. I'm happy to not. I'm I'm happy that the reason I drink is because of a superhero that's not a superhero. Yeah, yeah. If thinking about salsa in a variety of delicious flavors and heat levels makes your mouth water, you need to check out Green Mountain Gringo and make sure to turn the jar around and take a look at its clean backside, a list of its all-natural ingredients. Of course, that's what I meant, of course. And all their products are preservative-free, too. With the medium salsa, you get hearty chunks of tomatoes, tomatillos, peppers, and onions in every scoop. I'm reading the ad and my mouth is watering. Uh, Anyway, the hot salsa brings flavorful heat to every meal with each bite containing jalapenos, serrano peppers, and other savory herbs. Plus, they've got a hot sauce with a tangy, spicy flavor that enhances the simplest of meals. It's perfect for avocado egg toast or tacos. I sort of feel like they're reading my mind because I put salsa on almost everything, but specifically, I use their salsa. I use usually the medium salsa and then uh, also the hot sauce on my avocado egg toast. And I don't know how how the script knew that maybe everybody eats this but i always make toast with avocado and then i put scrambled eggs on top and i put salsa i can't eat it without salsa and the green mountain gringo is always there for me in the fridge because it really adds to i mean any meal if you're me but definitely the eggs avocado toast situation visit greenmountaingringo.com and start shopping use the store locator to find green mountain gringo products get inspiration for recipes and purchase products using promo code podcast 24 for 20 percent off that's promo code podcast 24 and don't forget to check out their backside (laughs) this episode is brought to you by progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly 750 dollars on average plus auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. 
All right. I've got quite a tale for you. I stayed up extra late doing some uh, extra research on this. Oh, I've done sort of the same with my story, so I'm very excited. I think this is going to be a good episode. I think it is, too. Um, I, it's It's a lot. So let's crack into it. This is the story of uh, Helen Duncan, a.k.a. the wartime witch, a.k.a. Mm. the last convicted witch, a.k.a. Scotland's last witch, a.k.a. Oh, Hellish Nell. Oh, I like that one. The last one, we should have stuck with that. Hellish Nell, I know. That's Ironically, good. Hellish Nell wasn't even about her being a witch at all. That was a nickname from childhood. So, Oh, I, you should have just stuck with that. That's good. I know. She should have just started introducing herself like that the second she got into like spiritual stuff. I love it. Okay, so uh, also if if that name sounds familiar to you, Helen Duncan, um, it's because you probably recently played the uh, escape room that I made and she is featured in the escape uh-huh. room. She's featured in it because she is one of Harry Price's main cases <gasps> that he covered. Which shockingly, for it being one of his main cases, I feel like he gets featured very minimally in this story. I expected this to be a full out. Another Harry- HP. Uh-huh, Yeah. <laughs> But apparently he only makes an, a little uh, a little cameo. So okay. Uh, so this is the story of Helen Duncan. Her name was or uh, or her legal name is Victoria Helen McRae McFarlane. Sure. Um, that was her name when she was born. She was born in 1897 in Scotland to Isabel and Archibald. Uh, she was the fourth of eight kids, and apparently she was quite the tomboy, and she was very rowdy and fiery and had a temper, and therefore she got the name Hellish now. I love her already. Yeah. Do you hear these sounds, by the way, going on behind me? No, you I scared think... me. I'm already on edge. I'm like, is there somebody behind me? I feel like the neighbors took up hammering the floorboards as a new hobby during the <laughs> pandemic. Um, I heard that's a new quarantine hobby people are picking up. <laughs> I have literally, like, every room now, we have a different tall item to bang on the ceiling. It just gets worse and worse. <laughs> it's like, it's like it truly is, like, your situation, except I am in an apartment At and least can you explain know, it away. Yeah, you know who it is. Yeah, which is, like, good and bad. I feel like there's pros and cons to both <laughs> uh it's the they're both bad so uh so hellish no so uh helen early on basically helen was showing abilities or showing signs of psychic abilities let me s- say immediately that there are two very strong camps again about whether or not she was a genuine medium okay so i might be going back and forth on different tales Basically, her grandkids are still alive and campaigning that she was legitimate. I was listening to a few of their interviews last night and or listening to an interview of theirs and reading some of their testimonies. And they are like, no joke, this person is real. And then Mm. uh, and they're basically trying to clear her name because the overwhelming uh, social understanding of it all is that she was a, a fraud. I see. But so some of this comes from articles about her from people who didn't know her and some of this comes from like the actual website that her grandkid runs okay so helen early on uh allegedly showed signs of psychic abilities she apparently saw spirits and had visions of like certain topics before they even came up i think there was like a a story on the website that when she was in school she was able to certain things in her head would show up and then all of a sudden they would learn it in class that day or she was able to like manifest answers for her school oh come on i would love that skill yeah it's too late now but it's a swanky power 
both of her parents allegedly also had relatives with this gift, and so it was like not shocking to them, I guess. It's or a it recessive them out. gene, a recessive gene that kind of came. <laughs> it's got to be, doesn't it? Always don't they always say that this kind of stuff like skips a generation? And yes, stuff anyway? yes, so, yes. I have heard that. Uh, so one day she told. This is just another example of her powers. One day, uh, she told her doctor not to go out that night, and he, the doctor didn't listen and died in a car crash. Oh no! Um, apparently, this story spread through town, and even like the local minister said that she was like in cahoots with the devil or whatever. Oh, good. By the time she was sixteen, she was forced to leave home, and I don't know. I saw differing accounts of that, so it could have been that she was like pregnant and like unwelcome at home, or that she. I saw one account saying that it was because of her gifts, like the mm. town started getting freaked out. And so she had to leave or, but anyway, so she left at 16 and she went to a town called Dundee and worked in factories. She worked as a nurse. And when she worked as a nurse, one of her um, coworkers, I think it was even her best friend um, invited her over one night. And that is when she met the coworkers family, including the coworkers brother who ended up being her future husband. Oh, cute. So um, she met her husband through her friend at work, and he was a spiritualist, and his name was Henry. And apparently he also had had visions in the past, and he had a vision of her when he was fighting in World War I. Um, I saw a letter of his. I'm paraphrasing it. I hope I'm not getting it wrong, but um, I read it really late at night. But he wrote a letter about how when he was in the trenches, he had a vision of her. Wow. How romantic. Yeah, and, and also horrible, but also romantic. <laughs> well, apparently the first thing he ever said to her when he met her that night when she came over for dinner, um, he said, so we meet at last. <gasps> I just got goose cam. And she had also had visions of him, apparently. So they both like saw each other from across the room and knew they were the one or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Okay, because I was going to say that's creepy if you hear that. But I guess maybe he probably knew like she would know they would know each other so it wasn't creepy it was like yeah i mean it must have been like a recognition multi-layered knowing of like oh she'll be cool with this (laughs) how how long ago did he plan that line too by the way if he was like like we're gonna eventually meet up so like i might as well say something real classy (laughs) he practiced in the mirror for several years before he finally found her (laughs) i could imagine him like kind of failing and like being like like less confident about it in the mirror for a little bit and like having to build himself back up and practice like so so we so we meet it at last no no, that's no, 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 no. stupid no 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 no, no 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 hold it save it so <laughs> you, we meet at last you know shoulders back shoulders <laughs> back contact. exude confidence um so yeah so he fought that's in how world- em and i prepare for our podcast every every that's week. how that's how i prepared for texting you if you wanted to go to a farm with me and we weren't friends <laughs> Exude confidence. When you text me a smiley face, I was like, that explains a whole lot. Uh, Actually, (laughs) that's what I meant. You're right. Uh, So Henry had fought in World War I. Uh, He had a vision of her. He was later discharged from the war because he had some heart issues. Mm. Um, Or it was rheumatic fever, which I guess is the inflammation of your heart and your joints and stuff. Mm -hmm. So Helen married him when she was 20. They had six kids. Their names were Bella, Nan, Lillian, Henry, Peter, and Gina. And apparently they also had two who died as babies. Henry, after he left the war, he became a cabinet maker. And Helen was like a sheet, a linen cleaner. um, And she also worked in a bleach mill. Oh, that's got to be not great for your nostrils. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No. I, I clean my bathroom like 
every time I clear my bathroom, my nose is a mess. Can you imagine doing that every single day? See, Blaze, that's why I don't clean the bathroom. That's why Allison doesn't clean the bathroom, and then I get forced to do it. <laughs> it's not true. I just don't clean the bathroom, but I like have, finding any excuse that I can find. Uh, Allison and I have an agreement that I have to be the one that cleans the bathroom, and it that means my nose is the only one that's ever on fire. <laughs> um, oh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So they were doing everything they could to support their family, but a cabinet maker and working in a bleach mill, they were, you know, not super high paying. Um but when Helen well, especially was... with all those kids. Or did you say that already? Sorry. No, no, truly. They were just trying to support their family because they had right. six kids. And she was like 20 years old. He was a, oh a war vet. And one night while she was working at the factory, she had a vision that Henry was in danger. <gasps> so she ran home and he was having a heart attack. Oh, no. So she was able to get him help. But that vision made Henry suggest, like, hey, we should, like, use your gifts as a means of, like, supporting the family. Uh-huh. Especially because World War One was ending and all of these people were not coming home. Right. And there was quite a uh, an overstock of customers who could use her services. Right. Especially, I think, World War One. I, I think, I don't remember, but this was when I was learning about spiritualism a while ago for a different story. But I think World War One. One of the reasons that this wave of spiritualism came about was because during that war, so many people didn't come home and families were also prohibited from actually going to the location of the bodies to give them proper burials. Oh, oh my. So there oh were a no. lot of families who like never got any closure. The closure, so, yeah. So there was, this was like a, like their version of a burial or a memorial service was to go find them and talk to them one last time with wow. these mediums. Wow. I think um, if that's the case, yeah, World War One is ending and like all these people aren't ever going to see their kid again. So like, let's, you know, use your, your services. Sure, sure. Sorry, I'm cleaning my glasses, which means I can't see my notes. I can't even see you. You could do anything right now, Christine. And I wouldn't know. Ah. The best part is nobody else can see it either because uh, we have this Zoom recording on. I actually really didn't see if you did anything. So that Oh, good. <laughs> did, did you do something? <laughs> I did the stupidest thing I could think of, which was just give you the double finger. Oh, fine. The double bird. The double bird. Caw, caw. Okay. <laughs> you mean, hoo, hoo. People were very into my owl sounds. And by people, I mean two people on Twitter said they liked my owl sounds and my whale sounds and said I should make them a ringtone. Listen, so. you should just become like a like a, like a, a zoo mouth, I'm you know? I'm the next zoo mouth. <laughs> Where you just say you just make different animal sounds. I'm the That's next like job. Audubon uh, representative. <laughs> I'm I'm actually the audiobook uh, bird watcher guide. I don't know. Uh, you're actually the San Diego Zoo's Audible <laughs> track. I think. <laughs> um. So while practicing her, her trances to be able to then go out and be a medium for the public. Apparently, there was one spirit named Dr. Williams that came through to to her and spoke to Henry directly Mm. and said that he was going to look after her uh, during all of her medium work and that she was going to be very successful. So he came through her, through Helen to talk to. She's going to be one of those people who does seances and spirits speak through her. Got it. And that's how Dr. What's his that's face came that's how Dr. Williams came about. Got it, got it, got it. In the middle of one of, like, her, while she was practicing trances right. early on. And that was, like, one of her, like, I think first, like, big successful moments of, like, conjuring a spirit, maybe. Oh, a man is here. Yeah. That would be, that would be very <laughs> frightening, but I guess successful. So Dr. Williams told Henry um, some advice. And this is a quote from Dr. Williams. Uh, he told Henry, 
quote, a prayer at the start, have a Bible on hand, and build her a cabinet. So those are the three ways you can support her during all this medium stuff. Build her a cabinet. <laughs> so oh, he, I guess like one of those spiritual cabinet things. Yeah, and he was a cabinet maker. So That's cute. And I would imagine this was around the time of the Davenport brothers. And mm. I know they had traveled a lot to the UK. So maybe that was like, I'm trying to think of this, that if she was a fraud and if she was just trying to think of things to do, I guarantee she'd heard of the Davenport brothers right? and thought they have a cabinet. So like, let's just like <laughs> make up a voice and tell my husband, the cabinet maker to make a cabinet. And all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not a bad idea. So uh, Henry made one and I guess it was to act as like a portal um, so that uh, spirits that Helen spoke to could come through easier. And Helen's trances were able to get more and more powerful. So she was so powerful that she was one of the uh, infamous mediums who could materialize ectoplasm during her seances. And Harry Price has worked a lot with this. So I think Mm. that's where he comes in. So she could apparently make ectoplasm come out of her nose and mouth during these sittings. And one of the first spirits to use this ectoplasm was the spirit named Albert or Uncle Albert. I guess the point of ectoplasm, according to these mediums, is that when it would come out of your body, if you were so deep in trance and so connected to the other side that you could create ectoplasm in this world and it was almost a... It was using your life force to create this material that the spirits could use to create forms for them. You could like make their own physical forms so that you could see... You know, like uh-huh. if someone you love died and they came through a, a medium, they would be harnessing some of their life energy and then use this ectoplasm to build out their own form so they could like walk around the room or you could see them standing in the corner. Right. And it was just a way to physically be able to like build themselves out of this medium. Okay. Um, so the first person to use this ectoplasm was a spirit named Albert who came through. Apparently he had this like really thick Australian accent. Um, he allegedly drowned and he regularly showed up at seances. He became like, apparently became like a, a go-to regular of Helen's. And uh, he literally became like kind of like the MC of her seances and would like show up just to like announce what like, like Bonnaroo, like the lineup of other spirits that <laughs> night. Um, and so... One thing that's interesting is people say, aha, so a really thick Australian accent, almost as if if she were trying to show that it wasn't her, she just picked a different accent that was very different from her. Kind of like mm-hmm. how a lot of mediums would like use a different voice or something yes, yes, for spirits. Yes. So a lot of people think that, oh, maybe this was her just using a different accent so people would think it was a different person. Okay, sure. Another regular spirit was Peggy, who was a little girl and she would like run around the room and sing and stuff. Oh, my God. And those were, like, her two regulars. People saw Albert and Peggy all the time at her seances. So pretty soon, Helen was very popular, and her husband even became her full-time assistant. And she was offered to even regularly perform seances with the Scottish Spiritualist Society, or the SSS. Mm. Um, And this is how she would start a seance. So if you were lucky enough to see one of these, this is how it would start. She would apparently get naked. Oh, God. I'm in. No wonder Albert keeps showing up to read the set list. I mean, geez. 
<laughs> um, and she would let people see that she wasn't hiding anything. So it was a way to like prove the like, oh my. no tricks <laughs> on my sleeves because I have no sleeves. I love that the... <laughs> I love that the Scottish, what is it, Spiritualist Society was like, no, let's hire her again for the company party. Let's bring <laughs> like, her back. <laughs> talk about entertainment. Um, she would then get completely dressed in black and she would go into a trance. And this is when Albert and Peggy would usually take over. Mm. Um, and they would help bring out whatever other spirits were, were nearby that wanted to come forward. Okay. So this is when she would begin to have ectoplasm come out of her and uh, physical manifestations or I'm assuming like shadow figures or human forms would appear in the room. Mm -hmm. So she was getting really big coming up on the 1930s. And in the late 20s, there was one guy named Harvey Metcalf who was a photographer and came and took pictures while he was at the sitting. I don't know if this was something that helen consented to right um but pictures were taken it was flash photography in what was supposed to be a dimly lit room mm. and uh harvey got pictures of peggy and ectoplasm oh so the pics the pics yikes the, the photos <laughs> you're I'm trying, trying to, to prove that... that you're not a grandpa when you text or whatever you said earlier <laughs> i like, get I it don't, i don't send emoticons i got my pics you know i said pics <laughs> like my dad with the cloud i um <laughs> I feel like I do that so often. I say pics instead of like pictures on here. Sorry. <laughs> pics. This is not the first time I've done that. Also, um, it's just funnier because it's like old time photography. So it's like, I oh, took a few pics. He snapped a few pics. Like it's the opposite <laughs> of how long it probably took to develop, take and develop a photograph. It wasn't a pic. It was a snap, a snapshot photograph, like a, <laughs> a long uh, exposure shot. <laughs> Um, so these pictures of Peggy and the ectoplasm showed that Peggy was probably, depending on what camp you side with, there's one camp that says the photographic evidence of Peggy is a very creepy doll made of paper mache and bed Ugh. sheets. Oh no. Oh, um, no. apparently like there may be like, like wet cloth, a wet mm-hmm, fabric mm-hmm. was thrown over a doll to make it look like the ectoplasm Ew. like had, a t- had started creating a human form. Right. Um, so anyway, that comes back later, but there is a picture now of like, I mean, let me see if I can even just find it and send it to you because it's kind of like out of this world. Um, <laughs> Helen, I should have saved it on my end. Helen I actually Duncan. have photos to send to you today too, weirdly enough, which we rarely do. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we never do this. Okay, no. here's, a, here's a picture of Peggy and then you tell me what you think. I'm going to send you two and you just tell me what you think. Okay. Okay. Okay, here's picture one, and then here is picture two. I'm saying them both at the same time. So that's Peggy. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I mean, it's the same oh picture, just one is close up. But like, it's clearly like it looks like a, like a sheet and a mask, like a human. Yeah, it looks like a very poorly made mask. I mean, it's it's definitely not real. Like, it's definitely... It's... It's not human, although no. one could argue that that's just how spirits come back, I uh, guess. but One could argue, but also the quote-unquote ectoplasm looks like a scarf tied around her head. Yeah, it's like it's supposed to be coming out of her nose, and it's clearly coming out of like 
under her blindfold like it's not in her nose (laughs) it's not in her nose yeah that looks a little suspicious it's as the kids would say that's sus fam that's oh em you're trying too hard today my friend anyway let me get back to my emoticons um so yeah so that was what did you google so people can like search for it i typed in helen duncan peggy Okay, yeah. I mean, it, it looks... Sorry to say, it looks kind of ridiculous. It looks like a scary thing you'd find in, like, a prop... Like, a behind-a-theater yeah. production. It looks like an old vintage, like, cost, like a mask. Like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. For a costume party covered yeah. in a bedsheet. Yes. Um, so then a couple years later, the London Spiritualist Society, which, by the way, uh, just call back to previous episodes, this is one of the groups that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle... right. Um, and uh, Harry Price were both part of the LSS, um, the LSA, the London, LSA. Damn it! You're thinking the SSS, the Scottish Spiritualist uh-huh, uh-huh, Society. The LSA. I'm Man. shocked that so early on in the world there were so many organizations like this. Like, if they were all thriving today, I would be a member of all of Can them. Can you imagine? So the London Spiritualist Alliance had been hearing about Peggy, and also I don't know if this was at the same time or a separate time, but Harry Price had his own. Um, lab that he did his own experiments Mm -hmm. at and for both of them harry price uh investigated helen okay this was in 1931 so harry harry p is on the scene and god for hp yeah after first learning about the ectoplasm, I, Harry Price assumed it was like regurgitated items um, that right. were like coming out of her mouth or something. Yeah. And so he wanted to do an x-ray. And before getting to actually take the x-ray, apparently Helen had like a quote nervous breakdown <laughs> and like tried to pull, like tried to punch the doctor. Oh. She was like pulling her clothes off. Uh, she, oh, she's, she does that a lot though. That's not <laughs> weird for her. <laughs> she seems to, she seems to be naked twice in this story at least um and she fell down the stairs oh and her husband went to go help her up but harry price was like i think this is all like a ruse and like she's trying to get out of this she's trying to get out of the x-ray and also she was being so dramatic that her husband would have to go help her so she could hand off evidence to him i see like pull this out of my nose really quickly yeah yank it out of my entire throat scary Um, paper mache doll out of my nose real quick (laughs) just real subtly This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. There are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. 
Get started today and get after your goals. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required and it's less expensive than takeout. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is a perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. I found myself recently recommending Factor to so many people in my life and this food is really good. So Blaze and I actually get to pick our own meals every week and, you know, separate them in the little drawer in the fridge and, uh, Uh, make sure the other keeps their hands off. I personally love the cold brew smoothies. Those are always my go-to in the morning if I'm running around dropping Leona off, don't have time to cook myself breakfast. It's a great solution. Head to factormeals.com slash drink50 and use code drink50 to get 50% off. That's code drink50 at factormeals.com slash drink50 to get 50% off. And so, uh, and then Harry Price said like, hey, like, husband show me your pockets and henry wouldn't do it so um eventually helen did agree to give them a sample of ectoplasm uh and harry price said that the ectoplasm after testing it was definitely cheesecloth covered in uh or first people who don't know what cheesecloth is think of like like gauze or something um it was covered in egg whites like raw egg whites so it would look slimy and thick uh she was especially like coming out of your nose it's like snotty almost also the way it got in there she would swallow massive chunks of it (laughs) no 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 (laughs) thank you few things really make me want to like hurl but like the thought of like because i feel like i pretty regularly make you no this one makes me physiologically i actually like i'm having a gag reflex right now that i'm trying to like (laughs) physiologically speaking (laughs) i'm like i'm really trying to keep it together but like this really makes like the thought of swallowing like raw egg white and okay, well now you're making me ill stacks God. of gauze Ugh, okay of all the things we talk about why is that the one but it's something that like well if you're not supposed to put stuff down there that's not food <sighs> time it really is making me so so gross grossed out but so apparently it, so chunks of it would come out and she had taught herself how to regurgitate it either through her mouth or her nose like how the boys did in lunch class where they would like yeah. lunch, cl- lunch class. I'm, a, I'm literally <laughs> lunch not, was a class. I learned not a lot. an American child. This is why I had no friends at lunch class. <laughs> Nobody would sit with me at lunch class. No. Uh, yeah. Like when they would like be able to spit yeah, milk out their, nose. out of their nose and shit. Yeah. They'd like drink milk and it would come out their nose. And I was like, why would you do that? I guess. But OK, but imagine it's now like fabric covered That's in egg whites. That's what I can't get over. That's horrifying. Uh, it really is so of all things that one gets me and i don't like we talk about blood every fucking day but egg whites runny okay so it's bad it's bad also like you would choke i feel like you'd you would for sure choke you would in trouble like you'd so whatever this is one of the arguments by the way that uh, for all the people who believe that she's genuine because they're like nobody could do that nobody could swallow massive chunks of fabric excuse me have you watched chris back. angel uh chris angel has done a lot of crazier things okay chris angel is is his own form to be fair he's, thank you he's a one of a kind he's a rare bird um so he also uh he also realized that a lot of like the human forms that were coming out of this ectoplasm were just pictures cut out from magazines and uh <laughs> Like, there was once, like, a hand that manifested during a seance, and he said, like, that was literally a rubber glove. Like, Oh. So he has his own opinions, and he feels like between, like, ransom letters cut out of a magazine and egg whites, there there's nothing real going on here. Well, I mean, because people swallow swords. Like, 
That's true. Regularly. You're right. You know what I mean? Like you can teach yourself to do some pretty wild things with your body. So this isn't. I, I think out. raw egg in general freaks me out. And so the raw egg white part and just like throwing back a bunch, like so much oh, of it that it cakes fabric. Absolutely foul. But I think it, it it's, po- I, I can imagine someone would be able to teach themselves to do that. Like if someone can swallow a sword or whatever. People do crazy things to support their their family of their dreams (laughs) (laughs) it's that's just that's a that's mother's intuition right there that's a maternal instinct i could not (laughs) swallow egg whites i hope not because i feel like then i'm not cut out for any sort of parenting (laughs) in the future um so so the way that he collected this ectoplasm is it's a funny quote and then it turns into like a not so funny quote by the end uh but this is a quote from harry price about collecting the ectoplasm Harry Price says, quote, The sight of half a dozen men, each with a pair of scissors, waiting for the word was amusing. It came and we all jumped. One of oh. the doctors got a hold of the stuff and secured a piece. The medium screamed and the rest of the teleplasm went back down her throat. Oh, okay. Oh, 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 Which oh, means, oh. like, imagine... dangerous. Imagine, first of all, you put fabric inside of your body and then it, you somehow teach it to, like, kind of come out of your nose and then imagine a bunch of people ripping it out of your With face. With scissors... And then you're trying to get it back, so you have to like and you're, and you're, swallow it, like okay, trying to like suck it back in. Foul. That's 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 the worst thing you've said so far. I think. How did she not vomit? I, that's I, what, I don't get it. To, that's how they. I think that's what they do. They like train their gag reflex to go home or something. I'm not really. That's sure. an Avengers fucking gag reflex. I don't. They're oh, that. That's like a non-existent gag reflex. I mean, you'd it's have the to. It's the exact opposite of my gag reflex, no, which is. I'm, prominent right now physiologically <laughs> prominent i would say <laughs> i don't know why i said physiologically i'm so stupid no but, you're not i like it um okay so then he says this time it wasn't cheesecloth so when they got oh. that so the second time he she used something other than cheesecloth it proved to be paper which they now also say on some articles was like to- a toilet paper roll um okay. soaked in egg white again and folded into a flat tube so like rolled up so like rolled up paper towel paper towel roll or toilet paper roll that's so which, like, disgusting which is even more aggressive on your nasal cavity i was just like, thinking it would be so scratchy imagine if someone ripped a toilet paper roll out of your fucking nostril like that how was going do you... down your throat i mean it's Christine. like it's like when they used to mummify people, you know, and they would go through the nose. Like, it, it always freaked me out so badly because that's a really sensitive part of your damn body because it's right by your brain. I literally, I can't process anything happening <laughs> to my nose. I, it really, really, I mean, obviously after today, but this, it really fucks me up. Um, so, like, this, uh, just to finish out the quote, um, we learned that uh, Harry Price is fat phobic, to be clear. Uh-oh. Um, because he finishes out this quote, or he, while telling the story at some point, says, quote, could anything be more infantile than a group of grown-up men wasting time, money, and energy on the antics of a fat female crook? Oh, my God. What a dick. So, like, chill, Harry, all right? Like, she's going through a lot. Her nose could- especially. Like Her nose is hurting. Yeah, give it a rest. Give it a rest. So, oh my god. Even that's... so, even so, despite finding all this information out about her and like essentially exposing her as a fraud, she still just like kept getting more and more popular. Like she like no one was listening to Harry Price or if they were, they still wanted to see it for themselves. So, by 1933, she was exposed another time because apparently someone grabbed at Peggy's physical form after she had manifested out of ectoplasm. 
And I think it was actually an undercover cop. Oh, again, nothing better to do. <laughs> I know. Who uh, who grabbed at Peggy and then found out it was literally like torn underwear. Oh, like, wow. It was like, it was just like cloth that she grabbed at. So Helen was arrested and charged with really larceny, but it was kind of the fraud charge at the time. Sure. Um, and was fined 10 pounds. And even though people should have seen them as frauds by now, like you would think after so many exposures, people mm-hmm. would stop. World War II is now ending. And so uh-huh. as Helen Duncan might say, business was booming. Um, <laughs> as Helen Schnell would say. <laughs> do you think Do you think it's because there or at least partially because you couldn't just Google somebody and like read their read an article about how they were a fraud like do you think it was just the news wasn't necessarily circulating to the right people so people didn't even know she was a fraud it was just like I guess um, so I guess so and also like I know if they were like if Harry Price was there doing a report on like for his lab maybe like people weren't reading like the journals he was putting out it was only certain circles that were concerned about that or focusing on that yeah i would imagine most like the general population well i don't know because also around this time was like quite a wave of spiritualism so it's not like this was like a hidden thing like sure everyone was going to seances all the time so and she was one Mm -hmm. of the more famous spiritualists or one of the most famous mediums at the time so people knew of her and you would think they would hear about scandal and if it were about someone they knew they would pay attention to it but i don't know i mean maybe people were finding out after like because tr- word didn't travel fast, maybe they'd go to a yeah. seance and then hear about it, or maybe they heard about it but wanted to see it for themselves, or sure. maybe a lot of people were spiritualists and were like, oh, those are just doubters and critics. Sure, like, sure. I want my experience. Also, I would imagine a lot of people were really traumatized from losing people they loved, that mm. they were like, I don't even care if it's real or not. I would just want a shot at talking to the person I, I want to believe about. that it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Now we're getting into the real stuff because it's post-World War II. Or it's not post-World War II, but World War II, people are now dying mm-hmm. um, in droves. And 1941, the this is May 24th, there is an audience member in one of her seances. And his name is, first of all, doesn't sound like a real person. But his name is Brigadier Firebrace. And <laughs> You know what that sounds like? One of those... Gen- name generators like find your firefighter name uh, it's like you put in your <laughs> what's the what's your first initial in the day you were born <laughs> but <laughs> the yeah first name of your third grade teacher yeah i mean it sounds ridiculous sorry so say it again brigadier firebrace come on um and he apparently had connections to like the uk version of the cia or something i'm the intelligence services so helen was having the seance brigadier firebrace was in the audience and Albert, the MC of the night, shows mm-hmm. up and says, oh, I don't know how the conversation gets started. I don't know if he knew that this guy was in the Navy or anything, but said like, oh, uh, you know, a spirit is telling me that a, a British battleship just sank. And the brigadier was like, I would fucking know about that. Mm. And he was kind of rattled because he hadn't heard anything. So he uh, talked to his like like people he trusted and was like did this happen and everyone was like no like nothing happened and then the next morning they called them back being like we just got word that, that jk that that battleship sank how did you oh, know that shit oh so by the way that's not a good look if they're like how did you exactly know this? that's a little yeah. shady are you an inside like a, uh-huh. a mole exactly so uh oh. he found out that that was the 
HMS Hood and the Hood oh sank. So a couple months later, in November of that same year, Helen was hosting another seance in Portsmouth, which was, uh, I guess it was like their Navy's like main base. So like mm-hmm. if you were near, which is interesting because uh, in Virginia, we have a Portsmouth that was also a naval base. <laughs> so, oh, interesting. Um, I guess the word makes sense, like port. mouth of the port. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he hosts a seance in... Uh, or I don't know if it was an official base, but I know a lot of Navy people live there. So, right. um, but so uh, anyway, that was just a random fun fact. So she hosts a seance in Portsmouth, which is uh, their Navy's like main hub. Mm-hmm. And one of the spirits who comes forward at the seance is a sailor named Sid who died on another ship, which no one had known about yet. Oh, apparently this sailor in particular comes forward during the seance because his mother is in the audience. Oh, oh, dear. And so this sailor starts saying, my ship is sunk. (gasps) And also, apparently she, like, Helen was able to materialize through ectoplasm, whatever that means, was able to provide in the middle of the seance a sailor's hat from the HMS Barham, which is the ship he was on. Oh, my God. And so between literally having a hat and saying, and like somehow knowing that this woman who has a son on that ship was there saying my ship is sunk, the mother freaked out and was like, I haven't heard anything like that. Oh, so the mother didn't like, wasn't yeah. there like because her son died. It was just like, she happened would, to be. Yeah, it was kind of like just at a seance how like oh, certain spirits will come forward no. based on who's in the room. This person, allegedly, I mean, going off of the argument that she's legit and that Helen Duncan really just was in a trance and spirits were talking through her. Someone's mom was in the audience. That spirit came forward and said, it's me, Sailor Sid, and I'm on the HMS Barham, and here's my hat, and also my ship is sunk. But nobody knew. But nobody (gasps) knew about that yet. So the mom freaks out and starts asking around tries to like reach like i don't know navy higher ups and is like like what's going on where's my son and uh i i saw in a different i saw in a different um on one of the articles that she said something along the lines to the spirit that was talking to her the mother was like oh no like my my son's ship hasn't sunk i would have heard about that and the spirit looked at her and said wait three weeks oh god I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I heard on in one of the articles. Right. But anyway, she asks around and eventually it does come out that the HMS Barham had sank, but it was top Ugh. secret information and that over 880 of the 1,100 men had died on board. Oh, no. Apparently, they uh, it was top secret because the British wanted the Germans to think that the ship was still a threat and hadn't sank. Sure. And so... Um, one article even stated that the Navy allegedly forged Christmas cards from dead <gasps> soldiers to like oh, in case geez. in case there were any like double agents, people would think that the these sailors were totally fine and the ship was still afloat. If that's true, that's really sad. I don't again, only one source said that and it they even they said allegedly. So okay. I yeah. It's probably just a rumor, but for the sake of the story, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Um so rumors spread that Helen predicted uh, a third sinking of a ship also called the HMS Broadwater. Um, so now that she has talked about three different instances like this, she was now a UK security risk. Well, I was thinking like, is she torpedoing these things? Like, what is she doing? 
Well, so she was uh, basically the government was afraid that she knew other information whether she was like literally a mole eavesdropping yeah. and using this for her show or she legitimately had spirits like outing the government like no matter how she was getting this intel <laughs> no matter what she was ruining secret missions and so oh my the god how crazy is that and so the police were now paying attention to her and this again by the way only like grew her audience sure, base because true. now it's like whether or not it's true like baby we'll just like get secret government war intel so uh r- realistically the way she could have known about at least the big one the hms barum with the sailor on it um she could have known because one local paper had accidentally leaked it <gasps> and she lived in portsmouth where all of the letters to the families were coming through mm. so there was a bunch of locals who were finding out that their kid had died on the well, ship and, and it mean, just hadn't been released to anybody except families but this was the navy hub where a bunch of families lived so she well, probably just 880 people died like that's gonna spread quickly once family mm-hmm. members find out yeah when 880 families are getting yeah. that letter yeah so there's a chance that she just legitimately heard it because she was in the town where all of these families were living wow um but especially because she had that sailor hat that she created realistically she could just made a fucking prop and like brought Mm -hmm. it in but they considered this like a potential security breach and they had no idea how she could have even gotten during wartime like that's no yeah they uh they even started wondering like is she a medium is she a spy who's just like gone rogue like what is happening here and with the so, side hustle a spy with a side <laughs> hustle um so in 1944 three years later so basically for those three years the they were like we don't technically have anything on her but like we're gonna keep an eye on her mm-hmm. and like be more aware of what she's saying so three years later um operation neptune aka d-day was in mm. the works and training had already started and basically the chief of police was like we need to be it's better off to be safe than sorry and if we're about to like pull through with this d-day thing which like could make or break us um she can't accidentally spread any secret intel like she could ruin our plan yeah and so the, the cops raided one of her seances and basically higher up authorities demanded she be put in jail even though they technically didn't have anything new on her oh wow um so this is where her grandkids to this day especially one granddaughter named margaret this is like the big issue that they're still trying to address is that she was wrongfully jailed because Mm -hmm. they just needed a reason because the government was scared of her Mm um so to keep her from spreading more any more intel, the cops raided one of her seances, and while trying to arrest her, the cops also tried to grab at some of the ectoplasm, and apparently it went back down her throat. Ugh. Um, they, they didn't find anything on her, but her and um, three other people at the seance were, were arrested because two of them, it was their property that they were allowing Helen to have her seance on, and the other was Helen's assistant for the day because her husband was sick or something. Okay. So all four of them get arrested. All right. Um, They were charged with vagrancy, which was kind of a catch-all at the Uh, time. And uh, they were also charged with conspiracy. Okay. So, okay. So they were charged with vagrancy and they were charged with conspiracy. And both of them were kind of just catch-alls at the time. But the government really wanted to hold her and make something stick. So Mm -hmm. the thing that's like that her granddaughter's like, this is fucked up, is that not only did they 
change her charge from vagrancy and conspiracy, they changed it to um, like a 200 year old law that hadn't been used in over 100 years. And it was called the Witchcraft Act of 1735. Oh, come on. Because they needed something that would hold her and like uh-huh. make sure that she was from what her granddaughter is saying, like giving her this charge made her guilty before she ever went to trial because they found a law that would specifically hold her like by definition, she had already, you know, fallen into it. So, okay. So the witchcraft act was basically fraud for spiritual activity. And a lot of people think that when you hear the witchcraft act and it's from the 1700s, people immediately think, Oh, witch trials. Sure. So this, it, that is its own problem which we'll talk about in a second but um it basically what it legitimately was was just fraud but specifically spiritual medium fraud um the actual verbiage of it is quote pretending to use human conjuration that through the agency of helen duncan spirits of deceased persons should appear to be present um and then helen also got charged with larceny which was another catch-all at the time Mm -hmm. that set that was quote falsely pretending that she was in a position to bring about the appearances of the spirits of deceased persons right and like i said a lot of people think that this witchcraft act was meant to punish and arrest witches but realistically it was to punish people pretending to be witches Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it was like we know it's not us saying we think you're a witch and now you're in trouble it's we know you're pretending to be a witch and so we're gonna catch you on that um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, it makes sense. Makes sense. Quote, unquote. But because it sounded like a witch trial, the media sensationalized this thing, and it was a, a media craze. Like, I mean, Helen's name is just getting higher and higher in the ranks in terms of celebrity. Right. Um. And so there were headlines in the story. There were, like, headlines that were sensationalized about her. Um. One was called The Story of a Ghost That Did Not Like Lipstick. And another was... <laughs> women tell of spirit kisses and like it's just all these like crazy storylines that were over the top just because this was such a wild story they even had all the newspapers were drawing up cartoons about like witches riding broomsticks and court and shit it was like all over the place so people took it as she was a witch even though she was just a medium right or maybe not even a medium but she was never to be a medium right but yeah but she was never even a witch so the BBC actually even interrupted their own war coverage to, uh, <laughs> like, to announce that she had been arrested. Like, it got really crazy. So, oh my god, um, spiritualists were pissed that the court used this outdated law to go after her. Um, first of all, people really some believe that she was super legit, um, but also whether or not she was legit, the cops decided for her that she was a fraud when they charged her with fraud, whether or not they had proof of that. Got it. Um, so at her trial, the prosecution had five witnesses, but the defense had up to 50. And these were all just people who were willing to step in and testify that they had seen her powers at work and like try to prove that she wasn't a fraud and therefore they could get her off. Okay. Um, so people from all walks of life, many with like decent social power showed up to be like, she's legit. She's a medium. I've been in her seances. Like, that this is no joke she's a pillar of the community pillar of the community (laughs) um many of them had even said that they had seen her conjure up spirits which like spoke different languages or like would just walk up to members in the audience and kiss them because they hadn't seen each other in years which means which means like if this isn't legitimate then like helen duncan was like 
making out with people. I mean, um, listen, she's naked, she's kissing, she's having a good time. <laughs> or like Peggy, Peggy, the like creepy little paper mache doll might have been like <laughs> running up and kissing people. Oh my god. <laughs> or maybe I don't know. Materialized spirits were also kissing people. Or maybe she sure. had like actors coming out to be. Mm. The, you know how some of them had like kids and teens play these roles. That's actually a great point. Although then having them kiss people is also really questionable. Yeah. Well, let's hope they weren't minors. Let's, let's also hope. hope that like none of this, like that one bullet was even true. Maybe that was just like something, you know. Maybe that was just their local Cosmo Girl coverage Maybe. or whatever. Yeah. But so there's a lot of people who are testifying like wild stuff. One of the witnesses said that he saw his wife every time he went to one of her settings. Another one said that he saw his high school sweetheart. Another said that he saw Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, one of them said he saw or one saw her father. One saw her sister hours before she died, which oh, like means that, that like Helen Duncan would have no knowledge that she had just died. So how unless did the she came show and up? said my sister's really sick. I'm worried about uh-huh. her. And the, yep. I don't know. But that's again, it, it could have been. What's funny knows? is the person who testified that they saw Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, they said it must have been him because, quote, he would have been embarrassed to appear at such a shoddy affair as what Duncan was offering. <laughs> so like, oh, ouch. <laughs> ouch to Helen Duncan. But also thank you for testifying for me. Uh-huh. So despite all the testimonies, the jury didn't fall for it, especially with the evidence against her, because those pictures from the 20s with the ectoplasm and the the peggy uh cre- creation the peggy yeah the peggy creation. the peggy questionable uh those those appeared and like everyone was like yeah that's fake harry price apparently uh told told of his findings and how she came off as fake uh there were several stories about her being exposed in her past her previous fraud arrests um also, uh, Helen's maid, I only saw this in one article, but Helen's maid allegedly purchased a, a lot of cheesecloth for her. Oh, so people were like, fishy. okay, that explains it. Um, the prosecutor called Helen a, quote, an, unmitig- an unmitigated humbug who could only be regarded as a pest to a section of society. Why didn't you list that as one of her nicknames? Because that is catchy. Because that's, that's what I call you. <laughs> that's um, my nickname. How dare they? <laughs> some people thought the entire trial was a waste of time, including LOL. Winston Church. Winston Churchill. Who's he, like, I'm running a war right now, everybody. <laughs> he, lit- oh, so first of all, he was a, like a believer in this stuff and like had gone to settings. Yeah. And, but he even wrote about this later and said, um, he wrote to the home secretary and said, let me have a report on why the witchcraft act of 1735 was used in a modern court of justice. What was the cost of this trial to the state observing that witnesses were brought from Portsmouth and maintained here in this crowded London for a fortnight and the recorder kept busy, uh, and the recorder kept busy with all this obsolete tomfoolery to the detriment <laughs> of necessary work in the courts. So he was like, I want to know why you used an outdated law. I want to know what the price was to house all of the jury for two yeah. weeks. And like, why the fuck was our recorder busy with this like when occupied, there are, there's, right. there's actual shit to pay attention to? All this tomfoolery is running rampant. So he was like, this is not worth our time. What are you doing? So most records say that it took 25 minutes, but I saw one article that said it was an hour and a half. But very quickly, the jury came back and found that Helen was guilty, even though there was like 
40 plus people who had testified they just saw like the pictures of cheesecloth and harry price and they were like okay you're probably guilty right um she was sentenced to nine months in holloway prison um no bail and fun fact the others who were arrested because the other three who got arrested with her they got uh basically fined or put on probation but she got sent away okay Again, the her granddaughter maintains that this is because the government wanted her locked down during D-Day so she wouldn't spill anything. Interesting. So while inside, uh, she promised that she would stop doing seances when she got out. And she was released only after only six months instead of nine months. And uh, that promise didn't last long because she allegedly even held seances in her cell with other inmates. <laughs> <laughs> and the publicity of her being charged under the Witchcraft Act was, like, so intense that by 1951, the government repealed the Witchcraft Act mm. to make sure nobody else could okay, good. ever get uh, charged for that. They ended up replacing it with the Fraudulent Mediums Act, which is no. just... <laughs> it's, like, this, way more specific. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's just a different name. That's true. The, the act is for, quote, persons who fraudulently act as spiritualistic mediums or fraudulently exercise powers of telepathy, clairvoyance, or other similar powers. I mean, to be fair, I do find that pretty shitty. But like, yeah. And, and crime. I mean, I can see why that would be a crime to take advantage of people, take their money and say, oh, your dead son is here. I mean, I, I get yeah. why that's, a, you know, the only thing that sucks. Upon. The only thing that sucks about it, which Helen Duncan saw specifically, is that if someone already decides you're a fraud without any That's evidence... That's the thing. How do you decide that, right? Then you can just charge them with that whether or not it's true. Yeah, it's... I mean, I guess the cheesecloth is a... Mm-hmm. It's pretty damning, the pictures. Yeah, pretty of, damning. Yeah, it's not cute. Also, <laughs> this, though, I think Harry Price had... All, or not Harry Price. Harry Houdini had already died, but for someone who hated mediums... He would have really loved this day in 1951 when the Fraudulent Mediums Act came through. That would probably have been what he considered a success after all of his work trying to expose these people. So fun fact, Harry Houdini in the sky was like very stoked about it. In the sky. (laughs) Um, So basically it was it just the whole point of changing it was just so it would sound different than being a literal witch hunt. Um, So anyway, that act came out. Um, Helen Duncan was the last person in Britain to be jailed for the Witchcraft Act of 1735, but she was not the last to be convicted because only eight months later, um, 72-year-old Jane Rebecca York uh, was also charged with the Witchcraft Act, but probably because eight months before the whole Helen Duncan thing happened, they were like, we can't let people know we also charged this person. So, like, let's just, like, she's not going to, we're not even going to try, like, we'll just give we they charged her like five bucks and they were like oh go on your merry way like let's not talk about this again so she had she was not the last to be charged but she was the last to be imprisoned by the witchcraft act i see okay got it um there was only one person after her who like kind of got a slap on the wrist and that was it (laughs) so during uh so when she got out she was released in 1956 and they found they found out that she was doing seances again, even though she promised she'd stop. So they raided one of her seances. They searched her. They found nothing. But during this raid, the cops tried to arrest her or tried to, like, grab for the ectoplasm or something. They were, you know, they were being around her. They, I don't know what they were trying to do, but they they touched her at some point, And she was mid-trance. Oh. And in the medium world, if you're mid-trance and someone touches you, that's, like, a huge no-no. Okay. 
one theory is that because she had ectoplasm released, if you like woke her up from her trance and the ectoplasm hadn't like resurfaced <gasps> inside of her, then you could like kill her or hurt her or whatever. So the fact that she got woken up in the middle of having this ectoplasm <gasps> all over her after the raid, they found like second degree burns on her and oh five God. and five weeks later she was dead. Oh my God, what? So she died at 59. She died December 6, 1956. And doctors say it was diabetes and heart failure. But uh, spiritualists who are still like huge fans of her say that it was because she was interrupted during the sitting. And Question. Yeah. Can you get second degree burns from bleach? I just wonder if that had, if the bleach had anything to do with any of this. Interesting. I don't know. Because doesn't it burn your skin? Oh, for sure. So I don't know. That's just... I don't know if they were like old second degree burns or if they were like brand new. I don't but know. I don't know. I'm like maybe she's using bleach as her new egg white technique. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I, I have no clue. I don't think snorting bleach through your nose is really uh, a class a great... act. I think she would probably know not to do that, but who knows? No, we never found out what the second degree burns were. That's weird. But they, there were two of them. There was one on her stomach and one on her chest. And five weeks later, she died. And even though doctors have, like, a more legitimate medical explanation to that, spiritualists say that it's a cover-up for the fact that she was interrupted mid-trance. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so she died in 1956. Um, in 1954, uh, two years before she died, fun fact, spiritualism became an officially recognized religion by parliament. And as of 2008, the Scottish Parliament has continued to reject a petition to pardon her because her granddaughter's still trying to pardon her imprisonment. Oh, I see. So the Scottish Parliament has rejected that petition. In 2010, the BBC broadcasted a radio show about her called The Last Witch Trial. And there's a statue of Helen at the Sterling Smith Art Gallery and Museum. I don't know if it's still there or not, but it was there at one point. And the last thing I'm going to say is... um, Helen was still known in spiritualist. Helen is still known in spiritualist circles, and there's a campaign for her imprisonment to be pardoned. Um, it's ran by her grandkid Maggie at HelenDuncan.org, where it discusses her life and has a petition for you to sign. I think la- as of last night, there was almost a thousand signatures, mm-hmm. and the site also has testimonies for people who knew Helen and swear she was the real deal. And Margaret knows Helen was legit and says her grandma was guilty even before the trial because the Witchcraft Act originally said the conjuration of evil spirits, but it had been amended before she got, she Mm. went to trial as conjuration of spirits, just in general. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so they were like, well, yeah, that's exactly what she even claims to do. So no matter what, she's in trouble. And if the government wants her put away for a certain amount of time to hold her from spreading info, that's the perfect scapegoat so anyway the that's how she claims the government guaranteed she would be imprisoned and this is uh one of the main quotes on the website to this day debate rages as to whether she was fraudulent or genuine 20 years ago i decided to find out all i could about my family members and sitters as well as the official records my research has convinced me that helen duncan was a genuine materialization medium the like of which had never seen Uh, before or since i believe her gift was so accurate that d-day looming the british government felt it necessary to imprison a woman who they feared might unwittingly betray wartime secrets helen had already done this on two occasions by materializing spirits of sailors from the hms hood and hms barham and before the loss of those ships was made public 
If having read the accounts of what took place at her sittings, you also believe a miscarriage of justice took place, please sign the online petition to exonerate Helen Duncan, an extraordinary woman and a wonderfully caring mother and grandmother. My family and I thank you, Margaret Hahn. Okay, so that's her granddaughter's statement. That's the statement. And also she's gone on to do interviews and everything, and she is dead set. And also testimonies on her website are like, no, this is legit. I went to a million of her stances. Like, I know that this is no hoax. So there are people who really, 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 really vouch. I just say Google that photo. I'm sorry. It's ridiculous looking. Like, it's clearly funny. And some people will explain that, like, that's just what spirits look like when they come back. No, it's not. I know. I know. I mean, I I know. Okay. And here's the thing. Here's where I stand. I'm not saying she didn't have any gifts or she wasn't. Maybe she really, truly did. And then just to, to kind of make the business work they added kind of yeah frills they exaggerated and, it they yeah. gave a dramatic flair yeah like if you were to do a tv show like i mean maybe some ga some bagel bites like <laughs> sure maybe you have a gift or whatever but then you like totally over you know blow it or play it to to kind of get interest in an audience and if other spiritualists are doing this i just ectoplasm is one thing where i'm like eh, i don't know I, about that. i'm with you i think she probably had some talents that most people like don't she did. yeah i mean they're the testimonies are um at least parts of the testimony to me are very convincing the to some of the testimonies i read and then other parts again with the ectoplasm i'm just like i've never seen it and therefore i don't know but there are people on there who say like i have been to not only her stances but i have felt ectoplasm it feels otherworldly like I'm like, okay, but yeah, sticking your hand through a shitload of egg white feels kind of otherworldly. Especially so like, in the dark, in a dim room, and yeah, it looks yeah. like a person. I mean, it's just there were so many people who did that, and there, I feel like there's a reason people don't, like, mediums and stuff today don't really do that anymore. And Yeah, and also, like, now with the power of, like, my stance is that the power of, like, psychology at the time when you're, like, desperate to... Yeah. to you know reconnect with somebody and you're in the dark and there's like so many mind games that could like make mm-hmm. you feel like this is a one-of-a-kind experience i don't know i work i'm trying to be very uh down the middle here yeah but, yeah um i don't think they i mean to be fair i don't think the imprisonment was necessarily a, f- a fair thing i think that was pretty fucked up so i'm not saying they should have right. put her in jail but you know and that's that's the main part. And the one of the interviews I read was, or one of the interviews I listened to, they were saying like, all we really care about is that the fact that she was like entrapped and like this that was like was a bullshit imprisonment and like under an outdated law. Like they just didn't fairly try her, and they shouldn't have had to try her to begin with. So they they, that's where they stand versus whether or not you believe. It's just like this was shitty, and like right, the government right, right. won't say anything about won't pardon it. So, her for that. Yeah, right. I understand that. I mean. So anyway, I'm I'm just nervous that that woman might listen to this. No, and I mean, like, I don't so. think we're like slandering her grandmother. I'm just saying, you know, no. I have a hard time with the ectoplasm bit, but I understand why you would be upset that your grandmother was, you know, put away for six months. It's pretty screwed up. Yeah. So her uh, her stance is she is just trying to clear the name. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's which that's the story of Helen Duncan. Wow, that's cool. I've never heard of her before. I only heard about her when I was looking up Harry Price for the first time. And then I thought, oh, I'll cover it later. And I totally forgot until I was doing this escape room. And I was like, oh, Oh, I remember that name. So, but yeah, apparently she's considered the last convicted witch. I love it. That was so cool. That's not what I was expecting, but it was great. Yeah. What? What? 
What? Did you did you change your name forever oh. ago? <laughs> yeah, I changed my name. I was hoping you'd realize while we were recording. I literally just saw it for the first time. Oh my gosh, Christine. What is it for the audience? It's the smiley faces. <laughs> How does it make you feel? Not very good, feel, huh? Makes me feel like my name. Oh no. See the frown face I can appreciate. That I'm like direct understanding of your feelings. <laughs> No I like how smile. it's just it's just the shift of the parenthesis, and all of a sudden it you're makes like all the difference. Like now I know your entire situation. It's here. true. It's like whether a smiley face has a nose or not. It says a lot about a person. <sighs> well, anyway, there you go, Christine. How Anywho. how was your pee? Was it nice? Oh, it, it, I walked into a door really hard, so I'm gonna have a bruise um, <laughs> later. But otherwise, great. Thank you for asking. Excellent. <laughs> I also changed my name to a bunch of smiley faces to to give you a taste of your own medicine. Yeah. Um okay. Let's see. I am so excited right now. Why? I got to know your story. I am so excited. I've been wanting to cover this since the day we started the podcast. <gasps> what? Okay, this is the story of the Summerton man. I Do don't you know, know that. <laughs> I'm so so mad because I want to be like as stoked as you. It's just one of those cases that has like haunted my brain (laughs) forever. Holy Um, shit. Okay, great. In 2016, I started listening to podcasts and I listened to Astonishing Legends. I think it might have been, this might have been the first episode of a podcast I ever listened to. Whoa. Um, Because I remember like reading, because I used to just sit at home when I was super unemployed and broke and just like read unresolved mysteries and like you know reddit threads and stuff and i remember reading about this and someone said oh there's a great podcast episode about this on a show called astonishing legends and i was like what's the podcast episode and i found it and i was like wow this is good so i got super into astonishing legends um but this they did a four-part series on this and their episodes are notoriously long so each episode's like two plus hours so it is super in-depth um is this a multi-parter for you no, no. Mine is not a multi-parter because uh, in their episodes, they even interviewed one of the researchers I talked ah. to. Like, they, it just goes – They their episodes go, like, super in-depth, and they tend to talk a lot, which is kind of why I like it. I feel like it's very calming to me. Like, they just talk – it's like you're listening to two people, like, talk about something creepy, and they just exchange theories, and it's just – Interesting. It's my jam. It's my jam. So, shout out to A.L., uh anyway so this is the summerton man and it is an unsolved mystery it is creepy and i'm so curious to hear what you think once we go through it okay so this starts in australia in 1948 it is one of australia's greatest and strangest murder mysteries probably one of the most famous in the world Mm -hmm. um and yet a lot of people haven't heard of it so i will tell you all about it so we're in 1948 december 1st Police head to Summerton Park Beach near Glenelg, which is about 11 kilometers or 6.8 miles southwest of Adelaide, South Australia. Okay. A body of a man was found lying in the sand by two apprentice jockeys who were taking their horses out for some morning exercise. Ah. As you do. Um, As you do. I'm going to send you a few pictures. Or I'm going to send you the first picture here. God, that scary Peggy thing just reappeared in my, <laughs> my text. Sorry. Um, this is so exciting because, you know, what are the odds? The first podcast you ever. would ever listen to 
You didn't even know then, but one day you would have a podcast and you'd be teaching your co-host all about it. Yeah. And you know what? Eventually we met the guys from Astonishing Legends and I almost like, I was so overwhelmed because I was like, I, when I was broken, sad and lonely, I would just listen to this podcast all day long and I finally got to meet them as a fellow podcaster. It was just so cool. It was really fun to watch Christine like fangirl (laughs) because I, I hadn't, it's not, I knew who Astonishing Legends was, but I hadn't listened to the show before and I, we went to dinner with them. And so I was just seeing them as two people and I saw Christine just like flustered i was like oh my gosh freaking for once for once i've got my cool about me and christine is like the the antsy one it was so funny i even this is so nerdy i wore a watch that i had bought using a promo code yeah like from those 2016 episodes and um i had never bought anything from all right it was like the first time i ever bought anything off a podcast was from their so I wore that I watched the dinner. Anyway, it was super dorky, but Oh my gosh. Uh, no, I, it was very fun. They're they're also, in case people are wondering, they're very wonderful people. They're lovely. I mean, and one time I accidentally butt dialed them, but we'll get into that another day. Oh uh, <laughs> okay, but anyway, I've got I've got this picture. You said there were two jockeys just horsing around. Horsing around. And they discovered this body. So I just sent you a picture okay. of the body. Uh this yeah. is how it was discovered. It's kind of a dude uh propped up a little bit on some rocks. Um he's He's a little bit tilted and he doesn't he's look dead. he doesn't look dead. He looks, he looks like, like he's be sleeping. He looks right? like yeah, he looks like a like a a dude who ran off from a wedding and is napping on the beach. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Okay. Like he got so, a little he got a little drunk at the reception because he's so looks, glad you said that. Yes. He looks fancy schmancy and he's just casually leaning up on the rocks. Yes, he is dressed well, he's clean, uh, and he's just kinda looks like he's sleeping. So they see this guy, they go over, they're like, uh oh, this dude is dead. And they call the police who show up to see the body. Uh his so his He's lying face up, resting against the seawall. His legs are extended. His feet, one of his feet is kind of up. And it was first thought that maybe he died while sleeping. Mm-hmm. So the police observed the man to be well-built, clean-shaven, and nicely dressed in a fashionable gray or brown double-breasted suit, a white shirt, brown t- trousers, and a sort of red, white, and blue tie. Uh, however, he did have no hat on, which in 1948 was extremely unusual because if you were dressed this way, you would be wearing a hat. It was just part of your ensemble. So it was odd that he was not wearing a hat. I mean, I guess presumably it could have blown away if he's laying there on the beach. I don't know. Sure. But he had no real belongings on him. He had no ID. He didn't have a wallet. He didn't even have any cash, which was unusual as well. And all the tags of his his clothing had been removed. And Mm. they hadn't been ripped out. They had been carefully cut out of their out of the clothes but that's interesting that that was even considered evidence because like i feel like a lot of people cut tags out of their clothes yeah well so well, i was gonna say this later but i'll say it now because it's relevant but back then a lot of people labeled their clothing like it was just normal uh, to have your name in your clothing oh i see oh so like right he wrote his name on the tag or something so all the tags were taken out of the clothing and i don't think it was old i don't think it's like modern day tags where it says like Hanes and has like medium or whatever on it it was like oh like people clothing would, write... would be labeled with your name like say inside a jacket pocket or oh like, they, like you would, would like labeled you would stitch like you like a like a 
piece of fabric with your name on it into the jacket so people I think knew it would just it was come that way I'm not really sure I don't huh. know if you would I don't quite know but I do know it was pretty normal to have your clothes because people didn't have that many clothes and so you know your set of clothes would just be labeled with your name and if you got them dry cleaned they'd have your name on them um it just was normal and I, I don't know I, I still think it's odd, though, to have all your tags taken out. Like, don't you? Or is that do you do that? I don't take my tags off my clothes. Oh, I take all my tags off. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, huh. Maybe I'm just... So if that. I go missing, that's like, tell the police to ignore that part. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I did that. That was me. I did that. <laughs> that was M. Uh, yeah, so all the tags of his clothes had been removed, and they hadn't just been ripped out. They'd been carefully cut. So a search of his pockets revealed an unused second-class rail ticket from Adelaide to Henley Beach, a bus ticket from the city, a U.S.-manufactured narrow aluminum comb, or I guess I say aluminium there, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a half-empty packet of juicy fruit chewing gum. Hmm. And this was an interesting tidbit because, fun fact, uh, juicy fruit was A, an American brand, although it was available in Australia, and B, it was widely known as being specifically for children. So oh. at the time, it was not something you would find on a grown man. So it's just okay. a little odd. I guess it's like zebra stripe gum. If you found like a businessman with like zebra stripe gum, which again, tell the cops to ignore yeah. that part because <laughs> that like <laughs> I would ha- I would have glow in the dark bubble tape on me. Yeah, so like, yeah, 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 yeah. Your your murder case would be slightly different than if than all of the a sudden. Average. If they were to show up and, like, I look, like, well-suited and I have, like, some Altoids on me, call the police. Like, And that's... all your shirts say, like, Hanes. I'd be like, uh-oh, <laughs> something's wrong. Like, that's not their shirt. That's not their shirt. <laughs> Altoids. Yeah. So, uh, um, so at the time, it was just not a thing that you would really find on a grown-ass man. It just was not. Uh, okay. And so that was odd. And he also had an Army Club cigarette packet. And that was a common British brand of cigarettes that, like, a lot of times Army guys would have these Army cigarettes. They were, like, pretty cheap. But inside were Scottish cigarettes called Kensitas, and they were pretty expensive. So he had this, like, cheap box of cigarettes, but then the cigarettes inside were pricier, which is odd because you usually see the opposite of, like, like if someone were trying to, like, look impressive, they might put cheap cigarettes in, like, an expensive box. See... I would do the opposite where I, again, wow, I'm the exact opposite of this Maybe person. you're going to solve this goddamn case and we're just going to be blown out of the water here today. Maybe this guy just has my insane mind. But, like, I would think, oh, I'm going to put them in shitty packaging so nobody tries to steal. I guess. But I think everyone had cigarettes back then. I don't think it was really a... I guess so. But if they were quality cigarettes and I didn't want to share. It's like if you go into a math class and you've got gum, put it in, like, a pencil box because no okay, one's going to ask then. Fair point. You know? Especially okay. if it's glow in the dark. Especially tape. if it's bubble tape. <laughs> if it's the sour apple one, forget put about it. Put it in an Altoids tin and everyone will leave you alone. That's, That's what I'm ends. saying. I would put uh-huh. zebra stripes in an Altoid tin and then no one's going to fucking talk to me. Okay, you know what? You're you're making a fair point. Yes. So I guess it was odd because typically like a middle class, upper middle class dude wouldn't have to be like hiding what cigarettes he uses, tearing his labels off his clothes. It was just fishy, especially because he had no ID, no cash. Um, It's just off. So he also had extensive lividity, which is blood pooling, at the back of his head, suggesting that his body had spent some considerable time after dying with his head in a quite different position. So Mm. it seemed as though essentially the body had been put there, like his head had been elsewhere and he had been staged. Right. So that's what they gathered from the start. So 
The body was brought in to be examined by a pathologist named John Burton. I wanted to say Cleland. Uh, in Astonishing Legends, they say Cleland, but I, I, I'm just going to say Cleland. Um, his observations revealed that the man uh, was of British appearance, a.k.a. fair to ginger-colored hair, aged 40 to 45, 5'11", and in, quote, top physical condition. Hmm, Okay. Yeah, he was super fit. So his body, they described it as kind of wedge-shaped. So he had, like, really broad shoulders, a narrow waist, and he also had high calf muscles, and they thought maybe he was a dancer because his muscles were calf muscles were so pronounced that they thought maybe he was a dancer. Mm-hmm. And his toes were wedge-shaped the way that your feet would become if you were to wear, you know, point uh. shoes or uh, – and people say they, – they explain later, like – Long long distance runners sometimes get that as well when you wear, you know, constraining shoes for a long period of time. So they notice that. Also, like dancers are like their muscle tone is out of sight. Like very I mean, fit. Like, yeah. So, and he had the Dorito chip shape. Yes. He was very small waist, broad shoulders, kind of Got it. uh point like wedge shaped feet. Just very it seemed like an odd and very specific kind of muscle composition. Yeah. Um, so they definitely noticed that. And uh, he also had some interesting genetic physical anomalies. So Mm. this definitely comes back later. So this is something, I guess, that happens in 2% of people in the population, in the, in the, at least the European American population, that his incisor teeth were missing so that these canine teeth right here are next to your front teeth. Oh, weird. So it's almost like, and a lot, some people have it, like we've definitely all seen it, but it, it, it's just, you almost have just sharper looking teeth in front because your incisors are You look are like closer. a vampire. You look like a shark or a vampire. <laughs> okay. Um I, I don't think it, I mean, I think it's kind of a cool look. I, you know, if you I have can't, that good I on can't you. imagine it. I, I don't think I've seen anybody with that before, but that's Let cool. me show you. I, I actually had a picture as well of that to kind of explain it because it's like you see it and you're like, oh, okay. Like it's not a wildly strange thing it's just one of those genetic things some people don't have those incisors or don't have the um genetics are so fucking crazy what are they called what are they called what are they called uh yeah sorry they don't have incisors so their canine teeth are closer to the front um let's see no incisors i don't know the (laughs) i don't know the like british vampire condition Uh, it's fine. I mean, I can imagine a vampire, I guess. It's, it's not, not a vampire. It's not a vampire. Okay, hold on. Um, here, I'll get you a photo right now. Okay, I'm sending it, it to you right here. You know, it'd be really funny if like your canines and your front teeth were reversed. So you had little oh, pointy guys. See, that and would then, like, be more vampire. Big, thick guys. Okay, so look at the guy to the right. And he'll come back into play later. But look at the guy to the right where his teeth are just kind of more. Oh. Oh, Do you see what yeah, I'm saying? I have like it's seen not that super before. weird looking or anything. It's like people have it. I just never even put them put that together. You okay. would never think about it, but it's one yeah. of those things that until you're like counting a corpse's teeth, you're like, oh, odd. He has this condition. until until that guy says, "I like to uh, suck people's blood," and I turn into a bat at night. Then I'd be like, <laughs> "Oh, the teeth! Oh, oh, I get it. I get why you have an accent now, and oh. you say aluminium. It makes so much sense." <laughs> yeah. So okay, he had sorry. that condition, which only two percent of the population has. Of the again, your white European, Amer- uh, not American, your white European population. So it was just one of those anomalies that they noticed when they were looking at the body. 
And uh, he also had a very rare anatomical feature relating to his ears where there was like an indent or the canal, there was like an extra fold or I I don't totally know how it works, but he had an anomaly in his teeth and his ears that were both pretty rare. So just, you know, something to note when they're trying to figure out who the hell this guy is. (laughs) So his hands and nails showed no signs of manual labor. And Cleland also noticed that the man's shoes were squeaky clean, so much so that he observed them to have been recently polished, which mm-hmm. led him to believe that the man had not been just wandering around the beach the day before his death. Right. So he was found, like, on the rocks at the beach, but his shoes were so clean that they were like, that's odd. You know, it doesn't look like he was just wandering aimlessly. Right. His shoes weren't scratched up. So the doctor who carried out the postmortem believed the man had died from heart failure brought on by poisoning at first. But there was there was no evidence that he had been poisoned. There was no vomiting. There were no convulsions. Uh, <laughs> astonishing legends made sure to mention there was no diarrhea, which are very common when you're poisoned. I mean, that your body has kind of fits or a f- you know physical reaction. Sure. So none of that had happened. So you know they said maybe it was poisoned, but there really was no evidence to say why. They did discover that the man's last meal was a pasty, and huh. I'm only learning what this is because. Oddly enough, next week, Beach to Sandy is covering pasties in Well, Michigan. get out of town. Perfect. I know. And I was like, I learned how to say it because I used to say pasty. That's what I was pronounced pasty. I had no idea until this moment that that's how you pronounced it. That's, that's how I learned literally 24 <laughs> hours ago. So fun fact, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what someone in Michigan told me. So preferably Blame before them. Beach to Sandy airs. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, please. Yes, please. Um. So, uh, so this pasty he had eaten, which is basically like a, a British pastry is what at least mm-hmm. I've been told is what it is. Uh, it was eaten three to four hours before his death. And further tests didn't pick up any signs or traces of poison in that food or in his body at all. Finally, they took his dental records, but they were not able to match them to any known person that existed. Okay. So that is kind of where they started to hit the first dead end. And while the autopsy was being completed, witnesses began to come forward. A few said that on the evening of November 30th, which was the night before the body had been found dead, they had seen an individual resembling the dead man lying on his back in the same spot and position where the corpse had been found. And another couple claimed to have seen him that same night around 7 p.m. and noted that they saw him extend his right arm to its fullest extent and then drop it limply. Almost as if he were, like, reaching up and then, like, it fell back down. Right. Another couple uh, alleged to see him from between 7.30 and 8 that same night, and they said they did not see him move during the half hour, although they did notice that his position had changed. So they said when they saw him, he was sitting differently or laying differently, which was also kind of odd. Okay. Um, And pretty much all of these people – so they also noticed he wasn't reacting to mosquitoes, and they were like – you know it was like first day of summer get it together right come on dude it was you know summertime december in australia and so they're like yeah we noticed he wasn't like moving he wasn't reacting to mosquitoes but pretty much everybody just kind of thought he was drunk and just laying on the beach like you saw the photo it looks like he's just kind of lounging yeah Um, so they were like oh he'll sleep it off whatever so one of the witnesses told police she observed another man looking down at the sleeping man from the top of the steps that led to the beach Um, But again, that could just be some guy walking by and, like, staring at him. I don't think that's necessarily ominous. 
Uh, and it would only be in 1959, which was 11 years later, that another witness would come forward to report that he and three others had seen a well-dressed man carrying another man on his shoulders along Somerton Park Beach the night before the body was found. Hmm. And that would align with the polished shoes that Cleland had seen saying right. he didn't walk in the sand. Um, which at first I saw he was carrying a man on his shoulders and I thought it meant like piggyback ride, but I think <laughs> it meant like a carry over the shoulder, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like, like a fireman so, carry. A fire person, a firefighter carry, but yes. Firefighter f- carry, <laughs> No, no, but yeah, I think that's more what um, what they they meant, not like he was on a piggyback ride, which is like, I was like, oh, that's cute. Oh, no, never mind. It's really That would have been precious. They were just playing yeah. chicken by themselves. They were just... <laughs> not in the water (laughs) right (laughs) by themselves yeah the best way to play so the investigation into the mystery continued the ticket clerk and bus conductor who issued the tickets that they found in his pocket couldn't remember him they didn't know who he was and according to south australian state records back at the inquest the team was unable to pin down a cause of death but they kind of just went with poisoning because they couldn't figure out what else it could have been And I also want to point out the cigarettes were never tested for poison. And one of the things they mentioned Mm. on Astonishing Legends 2 was like maybe somebody gave him these cigarettes and that's why they were like the wrong cigarettes in a different pack. And maybe they were poisoned and no one tested those. But again, his body also didn't show traces of poison. So who knows? It would have had to been a very like non-detectable poison. Uh, So now the deputy government analyst R.J. Cohen went on to say he didn't know of poisons which can cause death but decompose in the body so they are not discernible on analysis. So he he was like, I don't know what poison would be able to kill him and then we wouldn't be able to find it. Right. Uh, he said, I feel quite satisfied that if death were caused by any common poison, my examination would have revealed its nature. If he did die from poison, I think it would be a very rare poison. So mm. it's possible, but they're kind of leaning or he's kind of leaning away from it being poison. So at this point, the case went cold for a few months. They didn't have much to kind of go on. Uh, Everything kind of seemed to lead to a dead end until January 1949, when an abandoned suitcase was found at the Adelaide Railway Station. Wait, what did you say? January 19th? 1949. I think that's the same day as the Helen Duncan raid. Oh, well, it wasn't the night. It was just January of 1949. Yeah. January. You mean the same month? Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Sorry, yes, it was it was the same month and year. But anyway. And that, year? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's weird. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, I just heard that and I was like, why did that just trigger me? What Sorry. a mysterious time what a in the world that day crazy was. Crazy 30 days. What on earth? Yeah, that month must have been something else. Maybe something, some planets weren't aligned. I'm not sure. Anyway, but- sorry about that. No, no, you're good. That's kind of creepy. But yeah, January of 1949, an abandoned suitcase was found at the Adelaide Railway Station, and it was believed to have belonged to the Somerton man, aka mm. they call him that because he was found on Somerton Beach. Got it. So this suitcase had been checked into the station at 11 a.m. the day before the Somerton man had been discovered on the beach, and it contained the following items. So I'm going to read you what they found in the suitcase. This is a list from Wikipedia, and I've kind of added some notes to some of it. But Hmm. they found a dressing gown and cord, a laundry bag with the name Keen written on it, K-E-A-N-E, a a pair of scissors in a sheath that had been sharpened to a point, a knife in a sheath that was sort of a table knife, but had also been sharpened into a really sharp point, Hmm. one stencil brush, 
two singlets, which are like men's undershirts at the time, two pairs of underpants, a pair of trousers with uh, like dry cleaning tags on them, and a sixpence coin in the pocket, a sports coat, a coat shirt, a pair of pajamas, a yellow coat shirt, a singlet with the name cut out of it, Mm -hmm. a shirt without... So like, you know, it'd be like part of the shirt. So it was sort of like... Someone was cutting out the fabric of the clothing. You know what gotcha. I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. Huh. So uh, blah, 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 six handkerchiefs, eight large envelopes, one small envelope, two coat hangers, one razor strap, one cigarette lighter, one razor, one shaving brush, a small screwdriver, and the researcher Abbott that I'll mention later that was re- uh, interviewed on Astonishing Legends said it was an electrician screwdriver specifically. Huh. One toothbrush, toothpaste, one glass dish, one soap dish containing a hairpin, which was kind of notable because it was typically an item used by women back then to have a hairpin. Uh, So that was odd. Three safety pins, one front and back collar stud, one brown button, one teaspoon, (laughs) one broken pair of scissors. This is starting to sound like uh, Ariel's. Ariel's like I was gonna say this, sound, this sounds like just the we- this like I guess not the weirdest assortment but quite a lengthy list quite a bizarre like collection yeah it's like she's brushing her hair with a fork or whatever and, like, <laughs> has a, a random hairpin and some broken scissors uh they found a card like a, a packer card of tan thread and uh this linen thread that was in the suitcase was microscopically later matched with a thread that used to sew the buttons on his clothes that he was wearing when he died. So that's kind of wow. how they were like, that's, this is his suitcase. Cause they weren't positive at first, but the thread was pretty unusual. And so they were like this, we're pretty sure this is his suitcase. Cause it right. matches. Okay. They also found a tin of tan boot polish, two hmm. airmail stickers, which suggests he was sending international mail, a scarf, a towel, and an unspecified number of pencils. So, how big was this fucking suitcase? <laughs> I and was this was that this too. was a time when like suitcases didn't have wheels, right? <laughs> True. You no wonder carry- he was so fucking fit. He just had to carry this uh-huh. goddamn suitcase uh-huh. everywhere. Okay, but so I thought the same thing. But then I was like, half of these were like a button, two buttons. Okay, like, you're right. A teaspoon. Because no, the list just goes on and on. But like you know, stickers, uh, a teaspoon, a button. But it it does sound like a shit ton of stuff. It sounds like my purse, honestly. Yeah, if I were to was, dump my purse he out. He was there to stay. Like, that was not, like, a weekend trip. Like, he had a towel, you know? So He did have a towel, but they did actually say since he only had, like, two or three shirts, they were saying it It looked like it was a short, hmm. short weekend getaway. Is what He's just kind of... an overprepared packer. I guess, but not even with, like, the normal things like clothes and shoes, because there weren't even <laughs> shoes in there. There weren't even clothes. It was, like... Scissors. Sis- broken scissors and... I guess he had a a shaving brush, but a scarf. I mean, yeah, it was all kind of random stuff, but I don't think it was, like, a lot of... Like, he only had two pairs of underpants. Two pairs of Mm. pants. Okay. It looked like he only had a couple outfits prepared. So they were, like, it didn't seem like a long journey. Like, he didn't have a whole slew of suitcases. Like, I don't know. I guess... He just had, like, probably only a couple clothes, and then realistically, most of that stuff you named was in, like, one toiletry bag. It or could something. have just been, like, scattered throughout in the bottom, but everything's a clue all of a sudden. It feels like it would be, like, Chris, like if Christine's bag was found, it'd be, okay. like, broken scissors. I was about to say Half of if- her social security card. <laughs> if I get murdered and they say, wow, we found the strangest items in her bag, there's, like, a can of paint and, like, be like, no, no, that's just her normal 
I would literally have to like walk into the precinct and be like, let me see the bag. I'd be like, nope, 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 nope. That's if it none was of that's clean important. and organized, be like, something terribly wrong has happened here. Yeah. Uh, I used to do a game with my friends. They'd be like, we're bored, play what's in Christine's purse. And I would pull out like the most random item I could find. And it would, I mean, truly. You would be perfect for, um, Let's make a deal then, because don't they do that thing in between yes. the breaks where like I was they too like scared because I was like, there's so much weird shit in here that like I don't want anyone to on TV to see what's in here. Like it was I feel so like weird. I remember you having the confidence that you could have played it though because oh I was like fucking eh, I could blow all these people out of the water. <laughs> For those who don't know, at the in like during the commercial breaks of Let's Make a Deal, they have like the, these games to keep the actual people in the audience entertained, and one of them is like. You have oh, yeah. to, like, Wayne Brady will guess three random fucking things, and, like, whoever oh, yeah. has all of them in their purse wins. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. sounds like you would have had, like, with us, it was, like, a, a like a dice and a, uh-huh. hairbr- a hairbrush and then, like, a baseball card or something. And, like, was, someone yeah. actually had all of those things, and it was basically you, I guess. It must have been me, because, I mean, the other day I found, like, a miniature rubber duck, and I was like, I don't know why this isn't here. But, I mean, really, <laughs> like, the strangest items, it's... I never know what's in there. Blaze. I literally, I literally just mailed you a bunch of shit from one of your old purses. Oh, is that what that was? <laughs> did you wonder what all that I was? was? Like, what is this weird? I mean, I knew it was from my old house, but I was like, where did all this stuff come from? I, I was in the, I was at the, and that's why we drink apartment. There was like a bunch of random stuff at the bottom of a box, and I was like, I know this is Christine's purse was upside down and contents spilled out. And so I was like, I'm just gonna mail all this to her at one point. So I sent Christine like a package of like keys and there, like there was like gift a, cards um, there was weird pin- gift cards and pins and like there yeah. was a there was a uh, a remote for a fan that i never owned i was like why do i have a remote for a fan that i don't own i don't own a fan whatever anyway. i didn't know what you need there was literally a locked padlock without the key oh yeah there's a locked padlock i don't know where that's from it's just I, suck it's just not usable anymore but i was like i don't know what of this christine is missing so just take all of it this is why anyway this is why blaze drinks because I'm like, oh, I have a pen. And he's like, no, 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 please. please <laughs> a working me... pen, Christine. Yeah, a I'd rather go pen. buy a pen than wait for the next half hour while you like <laughs> dig through your bag for a pen. <laughs> okay, so sorry. So this is what's happening in his bag. That's probably why I got defensive when you were like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. I was like, no, it's not. It's all very normal amount of stuff. Um... <laughs> his friends also mail him back his locked padlocks too. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was, all those airmail stickers. So, like I said, they had found a laundry bag with the name Keen written on it. They also found a tie marked with the letter T, T as in like an initial T period, Keen, spelled the same way. And then they found one of the undershirts had the name Keen without an E on the end of it. Huh. So they were like, well, maybe that's his name. But also, you know, one of the theories is, well, why would that be? Why would he have left all those in and cut out every other name tag? So. Mm-hmm. The thought was either, so some of the theories are either that he had cut out all the, his own name from all the shirts and that wasn't his name and he had got it from like a secondhand store or a thrift store and didn't bother cutting the names out because it wasn't his real name or that somebody else had cut the tags out to cover up his identity after he was murdered and also didn't feel like cutting out the extra three items that didn't have his name on it. So got it those are the theories they also searched for the name keen in the database and there was not anybody missing with that name so they kind of quickly determined that's not they don't think that's his name okay so they have a suitcase now and they think they're kind of like they found everything they could but no 
Months later, police discover a secret pocket in the Mm. man's pants. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Now, it wasn't really a secret pocket. It was like a pocket watch pocket, which is kind of what in your jeans where you have that little mini pocket. The tiny one, yeah. The teeny one. So it wasn't necessarily a secret pocket, but it was like what was in it was so well hidden that they hadn't seen it right away. Wow. And it was a piece of paper, and it was rolled up really tightly and then stuffed all the way into the bottom of this little tiny pocket. Ooh, I just love this part because it's like, what? oh, my, oh God, my gosh, what does it say? Okay, so they pull it out, and they unfold it to find the words Tamam Shud. Now, let me spell that for you. <laughs> what? That's You're not Xenon, are you here? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> so it's spelled T-A-M-A-M space s-h-u-d and it's persian okay and it's tamam should and this is that's actually the name of that's the alternate name of the case sometimes it's called summerton man most often but sometimes it's also called the tamam should case got it so they find this printed on it and with further investigation the police discover that tamam should is a persian phrase where tamam is a noun that means the end and should s-h-u-d indicates past tense so tamam hmm. should means ended or finished. Okay. So notably, this phrase appears at the end of the 11th century book of Persian poems by Omar Khayyam called the Rubaiyat. So there's this book of poems called the Rubaiyat, and it was written by Omar Khayyam, and the last page features that phrase, tamam should, sort of like okay. the end. Sure. So in the following weeks, police... We're like, hey, anybody have this book? We're trying to figure out what the hell this ripped out, you know, piece of paper comes from. Yeah. And amazingly, they couldn't believe their luck when a local businessman came forward and said, uh, I think I have the book you're talking about. And I don't know why. And they're like, what do you mean? And he said, I've been driving my truck around. I've been driving my car around. And one day I noticed this book in the backseat. I thought it was my brother's. My brother thought it was mine. So he didn't think much about it. And then when he saw that they were co- making a call for this copy of this book, he was like, oh, God, that's the book in the backseat of my car. And it was the copy of the Rubaiyat. Huh. And it had a missing last page. <gasps> it was it had been torn out where the phrase Tamam should would have been. And Goose cam. I know it's so creepy, and so they determined. So wait, how were how so sorry? How were these brothers related to him? Like, how would that guy's book have gotten in this guy's car? So what they determined is that since nobody really locked their doors or when like had their they would just have their windows rolled down, that someone just tossed it in the back seat. There was like just no getting rid of evidence. Just he was like, none of us have ever seen this book before. We just didn't. We just assumed it was like somebody else's in the family and. Nobody even mm. noticed it for like months until or weeks or whatever until we were like, oh, this is what they're Weird. looking for. So there was not even a real connection. It just happened to be that they uh, were driving around with this book in the backseat. Someone had just tossed it in. So just another odd. I mean, thank God this guy found it, I guess. Uh, so he tells him he has this copy. Um, and when police look at the back of the book, they find this final page and where the words Tamam should should have been, they had been ripped out. And at first they were like, they weren't sure if it could match up, but they had it forensically examined and it was a perfect match. So it Whoa. had been torn from that page. Uh, even more sp- creepily, spookily, uh, scribbled on the back cover of the book, they find a coded message. <gasps> 
Oh my god. And I'm going to send you the message because it is just something I can't even begin to explain to you. I mean, I'll read it out loud for the audience, but I'm going to text it to you anyway. Okay. It's just so weird looking. Oh, okay. It kind of Oh, good night. I I okay. get it. I I get it. It but... changed the <laughs> formatting, but all those mixed up letters are kind of what the lines were. So like, for example, the first line says W-R-G-O-A-B-A-B-D, and then the second line is M-L-I-A-O-I, and then there's, like, a line through it. So just picture mm. that for five lines, and it's just odd. Oh, uh, weird. And, yeah, it's just a random assortment of letters. Yes, yeah, so it's it looks like some sort of code or cryptic or whatever you want to call it, and uh, they find this in the back of the book. So this is, like, another clue to this mystery as to who this person could be. And alongside the uh, clue or the message was a phone number, it was a local phone number. Mm. And so they look at the lines. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the lines that they find there. There's a debate as to whether, oh, you know what? Actually, why did I send you that? I have the actual picture of the code, which is way creepier. <sighs> that have been useful. Silly me. Here it silly, is. Silly goose, Christine. This is way creepier. So this is it written out. Oh, good night. It really is page. so much scarier all of a sudden. Right? When it's not an Apple text font, it is when a it's lot not- creepier. <laughs> when it's not in a blue bubble with a smiley face at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a picture. It's just, maybe not, we'll put like, these... But there's not like 10 eggplant emojis underneath it, Christine. <laughs> and can't read it if there's not 10 eggplant emojis. Uh, we could probably put this in like a Instagram series of photos because they are so yeah. creepy just to have them all in one place. But yeah, so uh, it's this creepy code and like I'll I'll tell you a little bit about them. So there's a debate as to whether the first letter is a W or an M because you could kind of see it could mm-hmm. be either one. Yeah. Uh, there's also a struck out line after the first one, and it's considered significant because it's the same, pretty much the same line as the fourth line, or at least starts the same. Mm. And so they think that someone made a mistake, crossed it out, and wrote it further down. I see. And uh, so in the third line, there's a dot in the A and a dot under the T. In the fourth line, there's a dot near the first A. And in the fifth line, there's a dot above the S, a line through the M, and a line through the S. So just like strange... Ooh puzzling assortment of letters yeah and nobody has ever been able to crack this or figure really? out this ever computers software has tried you know code cracking software has tried police have tried investigators have tried armchair detectives have tried it is uh as mysterious as it was the day they found it however there are a few people who believe they have an idea as to what it says okay so some people, including the folks at cyphermysteries.com, believe it's more likely to be an acrostic uh, rather than a secret code. So if you can remember from like elementary school where you would write like your name and then you would write mm-hmm. like, like you'd write it vertically and then you'd write C is for corny or I was going to say right. cool, but that was wrong. So C for uh, clueless. Christine? H for <laughs> what? C for Christine? No, that's what the, the my name would be, Christine. Okay, sorry. So, oh, I know what you're like saying. E-M. It would be like different. It would be like different adjectives that have to go yes, with exactly. your name. Uh huh. Exactly. Or like you know, you could do Christine uh, crossing every line. <laughs> H. Uh-huh. Uh, I, whatever you know, you can like play different different attributes per letter or something. Yes, or like a poem, or like some sort of whatever. And so yeah. they believe that's more what it was. Like he's trying to remember something, like maybe a mnemonic device to to memorize something. Mm. Uh, so that's what a lot of people believe. 
because I guess the way that the, I mean, code stuff is its own whole field, obviously, but uh, apparently the letter frequencies are more similar to the letter frequencies of the first letters of English words. And so they looked at it and they're like, this looks more like the first, a bunch of first letters of a bunch of different words that he was trying yeah. to remember. Yeah. Uh, like Roy G. Biv, you know. Right, 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 right. So they thought maybe that's what it is. A few people have tried to, you know, on Reddit, say they think they know what it is. So I'll take that with a grain of salt. But here's some suggestions. So a user named X Friday said they think the final line is, quote, I think they might think something about me. Send the guys. Ooh. So that's one option. Very creepy. But then you kind of hear the next one. You're like, wait, how are they even getting to this? Because user Scout483 says... My rose grows old and by and by decays, most threadbare in my penitence and ne'er enough to pay. My life is all but over and I am quite content. I'll take the moon, the stars, and my soul to grovel and repent. So wow. those are two so, options of what I could say. <laughs> whoa. It's so really it's running running the gamut. On, running uh, the gamut. Um, indeed. Really, and you just put any word anywhere and it could fit. I think it says Christine is cool and hot. <laughs> and and Radiant. really, really into some tasty igloos. Uh, not M. Not <laughs> I was like, you're stuck. Oh, no, you're not stuck. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty good, M. That was pretty Thank excellent. You. I'm actually Thank quite you. impressed. I mean, um, I'm pretty was... good at my alphabet, so, but, you know. like. <laughs> <laughs> no no you brag about it man own it um yeah. so it's interesting though because if it is some sort of like cipher like that or like his own personal thing no one's ever going to be able to crack it because it was just something he had in his head that he wrote down that isn't actually a code you know what i mean so mm -hmm. it could very well just be like a grocery list some people thought maybe he just wanted right. to write down a list it's like his own shorthand and he wanted to write a list of what he needed or, to pick up. This person could also be wildly unstable, and like whatever is written down here, like whatever the list is. Like I used to make lists for fun that made no fucking sense. Like <laughs> it might just be a list of like his favorite cereal mascots in order. You know, it, it, it could, it be could crazy. literally be something so non-pertinent, right, to the case, and could just be his own shorthand. They did say it's they don't believe code like professional code crackers have said they don't believe it's gibberish like they do believe it does stand mm. for something because the way it's structured has like some sort of relevance to the english language i don't know how they do it but apparently they have kind of said they don't think it's gibberish okay. but it could very well be a list of his favorite cereal mascots like it could be something that only mattered to him and that we wouldn't even be able to read you know right so it's kind of a mystery but it's very creepy because it's written in the back of this book um on Astonishing Legends, they also had uh, a code breaker lady that they interviewed, and she was super cool and fascinating. And she explained that there was this thing around this time where, like, Soviet spies would use one-time, what were they called? Like, basically one-time sheets where you could only use this code once. And then you had to destroy it so that nobody could ever pick up on a pattern. Okay. So she said maybe, you know, the book was the code and you were supposed to go to a certain line of the book and oh. of the Tamam should and, and relate, the you know, and then never use it again. So that was one thing she kind of threw out there that I thought was interesting, especially because that was commonly done back then. Uh, so that's possible. 
Also, this was right around the, this was at the end of the 40s. This was only a few years after like World War II, right? So like maybe this was someone who was like in coding or yeah, do some sort of. So that's where, that's exactly where I was about to go, which is that we are in post-World War II. Cold War is ramping up. We are getting into all sorts of spy territory, all sorts of wild stuff going on that was real. That wasn't just fictional spy stuff like it actually happened. And some of it's crazier that we could ever believe. So that definitely becomes part of it, especially when they're looking at it and going like, okay, he has all his clothes, labels torn out. He has a secret code in his pocket. He's dead mysteriously on the beach. Like, I mean, it really sounds like some sort of novel, like spy novel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's just very odd. Um, Let's see. So in a 2004 Sunday Mail article, a retired detective named Jerry Feltis, who had become obsessed with the case himself, took the letters in it, I-T-T-M-T-S-A-M-S-T-G-A-B, and they believe, or he believed that it could stand for the following. It's time to move to South Australia, Mosley Street. Hmm. So remember that. So okay. that's what he kind of... For whatever reason, you know, retired detective went way deep in this case, and he believes that's what it stands for. So they didn't have many leads with this code, obviously, but they did have a lead with the telephone number. So there was a phone number written, a local number. And in fact, it directed police to the doorstep of a young nurse named Joe Thompson, who lived 400 meters away from the crime scene on a street called Mosley Street. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So by this point, uh, they had already buried the Somerton man. They had done every test they could think of. And also, I just want to point out to you, I'm going to send you a picture of the, uh, if you are okay with it, I'm going to send you a picture of the photo of him after being embalmed, like in his oh, casket, basically. Sure. Okay. It's just a photo of- Thank you for the preparation. I wanted to warn oh. you, but- it's just a photo of like him dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was expecting like something nothing, much more drastic. Okay. No, no, no. It's nothing horrible. But um, I send that to you because, oh, and then I want to send you a picture of what he actually looked, of what they think he actually looked like. Because so this photo I just sent you is uh, is a photo of him months after he had died and had already been embalmed and had been frozen. So. Okay. Essentially, I'm saying that because that's the, that photo that I just sent you is the most commonly associated, like the most famous associated, but it looks nothing like him. So if, you know, if you were to know him in real life, you wouldn't maybe even recognize this guy uh, if you saw him in this state. So here's a picture of what they believe he actually looked like um, in his tie and everything. Okay. On the left there. Uh-huh. Oh, he's a sharp-looking dude. Right? So, yeah, he looks completely different, I think, in the rendering of him alive uh, based on what how they found him on the beach versus after months of being in a freezer and decomposing, essentially. I guess he. it's weird because it, it's, it looks... If I'm looking for the similarities, he looks very similar to that guy, but if I'm looking yes. for the differences, he looks so different. Yes, I think it's more like if you knew him, like in your life, you probably would be like, oh, I know that guy. But I think if you saw him in passing or like he was a customer of yours, a, a cafe or something, and you saw him briefly, you might not recognize the right decomp photo, but you might be like, oh, that's the guy, the sharp looking dude I saw at the hotel or whatever it may be. So, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of they just look different. I mean, I'm sure I mean, like you, I'm, if you knew I'm, him. 
I'm also totally like projecting my own like like hopes and desires on this, but he looks like a spy from the 40s. Like Doesn't he looks he? he looks I mean, I'm he just looks like a normal dude, but like now that I'm primed to think of him as that, he looks like yeah. a fucking spy from the 40s. It's kind of weird. I mean, he had a code in his like hidden in his pocket. He had all of his name tags ripped out, no ID. Like it's sketchy. Yeah, and he's pretty good looking. He could like get himself into really any he's scenario slick. he needed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a good-looking fella. And so, you know, I, I don't know. It just adds to the mystique, I suppose. Uh, mm-hmm. But also they mentioned on Astonishing Legends, which I googled later, which is Marilyn Monroe's autopsy photo. And you, like, really can't – I mean, it looks like a completely different person. It's oh, really? It's fascinating how – and it's not just because she's not, like, made up and glamorous. It's just, like, after your body has been completely – you know, in a different state and mm-hmm. decaying and, you know, embalmed, you look different. So essentially that's all the only point I wanted to make here is that um Sure. Even then they were like sharing this other photo and people may have been like, I don't recognize him, but they didn't mm-hmm. know what he looked like in real life. So anyway, they find this woman named Joe, J. O. Thompson. She's a nurse and she only lives four hundred meters away from the crime scene. On Mosley Street. On Mosley Street, exactly. And so they had buried the Somerton man, but they had hired a, I guess, taxidermist to make a plaster cast of him to kind of keep his form for after he's buried so that they had like a rendering of what he looked like. Sure. uh, Yeah. Like a physical rendering of what he looked like. And when police roll up at the nurse's house, they show her a picture of the body and ask her to identify it. She denies knowing the man, but when they show her the plaster cast... She apparently looked so completely taken aback to the point of giving the appearance that she was about to faint. And Mm. a detective had to stand behind her because they really thought she was going to pass out. But she continued to deny knowing this guy. But she started, like, fully freaking out. And they were like, "Mm, okay, fishy, fishy. Mm -hmm. She knows something. So they definitely got the impression she knew more. So they kind of, like, kept on her. And eventually, she admitted to once owning a copy of the Tamam Shud, the Rubaiyat, where the Tamam mm-hmm. Shud uh, phrase came from. But she said she had given her copy away to a guy named Alfred Boxall in 1944. And they were like, well, maybe Alfred Boxall is the guy. And so they tried to track him down. No such luck. He's alive and well, living <laughs> in Sydney. He is not the Somerton man. So another strange dead end. But also they're like, okay, so she owned a copy of this book. She clearly almost passed out when she saw his physical likeness. Uh And uh, she lives 400 meters away from the crime scene. Something fishy is going on here. So with little evidence, no suspects, no clear motive, the police kind of let the case go cold. And ultimately they call it a suicide. They're like, well, we don't really have anything to go on. So we're going to call it a suicide. And so something odd was that Joe Thompson at this point asks for her name to be removed from the case file. Uh, she said she doesn't want her name in it. She doesn't want to be associated. And they take her name out. So that's another also slight. fishy. I feel right? Like that's yeah. not something that investigators should condone. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, is she allowed to just say, I don't want to put my name in here? I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's can you imagine, in- like, stumbling upon, like, a murder and then being like, mm, can you like just jot out that i was ever here like actually can no you, can you tell them i was somewhere else like yeah it's just, just use some go... white out just clear my name <laughs> yeah literally clear it because it seems anti what they should be doing but uh-huh. they took her wishes to heart and they took her name out 
Okay. But she doesn't disappear from this story, so don't worry. So now we fast forward to 2007. So we are... Whoa. Okay. We made a big leap. And this has just been an unsolved mystery for decades. And we are now with a scientist uh, who works at the University of Adelaide called Derek Abbott. And he's the one who was interviewed on Astonishing Legends. I did like an hour and a half interview. Um, It was part three of their series. And according to a long article about Abbott on CaliforniaSunday.com, he had always been kind of an investigative kid. Uh, Having grown up in the UK at 15, he started traveling all over London and researching the history of old lampposts and mailboxes, which I thought was precious. So pure. Isn't it? You've got nothing else you want to look at. Okay. That's it's insane. sweet. It's like, oh, mom, I found the coolest, like, uh, retro <laughs> lamppost today from this steel company. I don't know. I just thought it was so f- bizarre I mean, and funny. someone's got to care to be able to pass on that information. That's right. So, and you know, you know what? what? Some s- steel maker, maybe my dad, maybe not, is somewhere going, wow, a little, a kid <laughs> is proud of my work and it makes me feel good. You're, I'm a hero to someone. Yeah. I'm a hero. It's not my daughter, uh, who's a podcaster, <laughs> but... It's some child in London, and I'll oh take God. it. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he was kind of always super into just investigating things around him. He was actually involved in the case of the Snowtown murders, which was episode 212. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was already kind of renowned uh, as a, I don't know, a smart dude. Let's just put it that way. He has, so I put this later, but I'm just going to tell you now. Hold on. So he isn't just some random dude. I'm saying all this because to give him some credit, he's a physicist with a PhD in electrical and electronic engineering. So he's a smart dude. He's spent a lot of time like helping in cases, unsolved cases um, and that kind of thing. He spent a lot of time looking at mailboxes. I don't know, but he's a smart guy. So just to give you some context. Uh So Abbott. In 2007, he becomes obsessed with the case of the Summerton Man, and he goes on Facebook to try and crack the code with other people who are interested in cracking the code. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Zuckerberg, I guess, <laughs> uh, because now okay. there are Facebook groups to crack the codes. Uh, and so they're trying to figure out what this code means. And eventually he comes to the conclusion that a lot of other people did which is that the list is most likely the first letters of words, like a memory aid or a shopping list. So mm-hmm. kind of a red herring, I guess, is one okay. way to put it. Like it doesn't sure. really necessarily apply. But he had already gotten so deep in on this case that he's kept researching it. So he reached out to former Adelaide detective Jerry Feltis, who I mentioned earlier, who had tried to solve the the riddle or whatever and said it meant like go to... What was the name right. of the street? Mosley Street. Mosley Street, thank you. South Australia, Mosley Street or something. Mosley Street, exactly. So he reaches out to that guy who's also obsessed with the case. And uh, he And lampposts. Like, I mean, these, <laughs> they, they just are cool. meant to be. <laughs> they were like in a Facebook group with two members and it was just <laughs> them. <laughs> oh, Jerry and... Derek RFS <laughs> together they're Jerick. Okay, that's sweet. I mean, it's terrible, but it's sweet. They uh, should go into business as like the Jerick Lamppost Company, the, the Appreciation Jerics. Society. Well, uh, spoiler alert: they are no longer friends. Uh, oh. and we'll get to that. Okay. But 
it's kind of their frenemy name, I guess. It can yeah, be their frenemy uh, name. Derek. Ugh, you know, <laughs> Derek already has that kind of like Derek name to it, so <laughs> Jarek is even worse. Uh, <laughs> so he reached out to Jerry Feltis, and Jerry was a detective with over forty years of experience in the police, and in the last decade had also been delving into the Summerton Man case himself. He was actually writing a book at this point, which would later be published in 2010, called "The Unknown Man: A Suspicious Death at Summerton Beach." Mm. So, when Abbott got in contact with Feltis, Feltis had already had the actual original piece of paper that was found in the Summerton Man's pocket. Wow! So this guy's like been on it for ten years now, and now Abbott enters the scene and is like. Okay, I'm in. I want to do this too. So in 2009, they arranged a meeting where three key pieces of information emerged. For one, Feltis told Abbott about the name of the nurse who had tried to take her name out of the case. Okay. So she's back. (laughs) She's back back in action here because Feltis had interviewed her for his book. And it was fortunate he had done that because by the time uh, Feltus and Abbott met, she had died. So Mm. he had information on her that um, could help Abbott kind of unravel the mystery of who she was. And it was also revealed that this nurse, Joe Thompson, was frequently referred to by – she had a lot of nicknames. Nothing as cool as Hellish Nell, but (laughs) she had one that she called Justin that she kind of made herself J-E-S-T-Y-N. I love when people make their own nicknames for themselves. Don't you? Don't you? It's always so entertaining. I'm like, so you got to really have a particular level of confidence to I do mean, that. I mean, that's what I did with Chrissy Kiwi, and it was really some misplaced confidence because it certainly didn't catch on. Uh, but I tried really hard. Um, it's okay, Chrissy Kiwi. You're doing good. Man, someday. Someday. So the name Justin is another name she went by of her own accord. Uh, <laughs> and so after this meeting, Abbott is like, okay, now I know kind of the identity of this person who had been kind of removed from the case records. Mm-hmm. So he tracks all of Joe's friends, family, acquaintances. And because of these interviews, he begins to get to know Joe Thompson really well and would later go on to provide California Sunday her life story. So a little bit about Joe. She was born Jessica Harkness. In 1921, outside Sydney, she Mm. had cut ties with her parents, rarely spoke of them, and she had started dating a car salesman called Prosper Thompson and had a child named Robin Thompson in 1947. Okay. She and Prosper hadn't yet married because he had recently divorced his first wife and Australian law had like a cooling off period, basically, where you had to wait a certain amount of time to remarry somebody. So he... Uh, had to wait so they weren't married yet when she had their child but they did get married in 1948 and she worked as a stay-at-home mom for their two children through through the 50s and then began work as a nurse okay now her association with the summerton man has led some to hypothesize her potentially being a communist spy master posing as a housewife this is where shit gets wild okay so some people think she was a communist spy and was just the average little housewife and you know the perfect cover i suppose oh yeah and interestingly enough her own i believe it was her daughter in an interview on australian tv said her mom had once offhandedly said oh i'm surprised i still remember so much russian and her daughter was like russian like it came out excuse of nowhere excuse me how do you say was, excuse me in russian hang excuse on me i don't know <laughs> may excuse you i don't know oh my and, gosh and uh so that was just like a side comment her daughter had heard. And her daughter believes she was a spy. Her family does believe that. So, Oh, my uh, gosh. 
interestingly enough. But again, that's, you know, more kind of hearsay, like, who knows if that's true or has been embellished at all. Um, but so just to give it kind of a little context. Oh, God, I already lost my place. Hang on. <laughs> it, we were speaking Russian, actually. So Oh, that's just... right. I'm in the Russian portion of, right. my, yeah. of my story. <laughs> Go back to, like, the borscht and, like, random <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Aww. Love a good borscht. Okay. So some people think she was a communist spy. Uh, and her daughter kind of adds to that a little bit. So next, Abbott is like, okay, she had children, so I'm going to try to get in touch with her son, Robin Thompson. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, Abbott was too late because Robin had passed away of of cancer on March 19th, 2009. So Uh, he had basically just missed him. Yeah. And uh, he, it still is relevant, though, because he continues to research Robin Thompson and what he discovers, now this is where, ooh, this is where Goose Cam comes in for me. What oh. he discovers is that from a young age, Robin's mother had taken him to dance classes. He stuck with oh. it and would become a professional ballet dancer in his <gasps> adulthood. Weird, so, right? So this guy could be Robin Thompson. Uh, well, he is Robin Thompson, but he could be. Well, the, the, the guy on the, on the sand, the, the guy, the main Somerset guy could be Robin Thompson. No, Robin Thompson died in 2009. Oh, right. Duh. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I heard Dancer and I got really stoked. I was like, oh, it's the guy with the great physique. No, his son. Okay. Okay, are you following now? I'm following now. Sorry. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Sorry, so, my own brain was on its own trail. No, usual. no, I don't mean to take you off your fun trail. I'm so no, sorry. No, this um, one's more juicier. So I <laughs> This am... one gets juicy, I gotta yeah, say. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, essentially... He finds this Joe Thompson who's like, nope, never heard of the guy, even though she's fainting when she sees his face. And she has this son named Robin Thompson, who's mm-hmm. the guy she married. But when they look, year, decades later, when this Abbott looks into Robin Thompson, is like, huh, he has this uh, noted ballet career. Uh, he also, there's more information here. Um, so he starts thinking of the 1948 coroner notes. And uh, like I said, the... Uh, the Somerton man had trained or he had mm-hmm. pronounced calf muscles that uh, they were much higher up than a runner or a cycler. Right. And because of Thompson's acclaim, Robin's acclaim of being a ballet dancer, Abbott was able to find a close up photo of him in a newspaper. And he would later go on to say to ABC News, lo and behold, I found he has the same strange ear feature as the Somerton man, uh-huh. uh, which was a little crease on his earlobes. And that's uh, that's what the Somerton man had. So they had the same strange ear thing. Then he went down a rabbit hole of pictures and found that Robin's smile also shared a genetically inherited trait of the incisor teeth being missing. Mm-hmm. And now okay. that photo I showed you that was an example is a picture of Robin. That's a oh. picture of the sun. Wow. Uh, that Oh, well, now let me go back and look again. That Abbott believes is the son of Joe and the Somerton man. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to see if they looked in, similar at all. It's so hard to tell also because... They, have, they both have curly, light brown they hair. They do. And the ears. Look at the ears. Yeah. Their ears are wow. really similar. So the teeth... I mean, again, the teeth are a 2% gene- a rarity of 2%. Yeah. Then plus the ears, plus the genetic tendency to be dancer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a dan- so very odd. So at this point, Abbott is, like, down a rabbit hole, but, like, a cool one. And 
he is but a cool one (laughs) (laughs) sometimes i feel like you can get lost in a rabbit hole that doesn't really yield much i mean i do that all the time but he's down a rabbit hole that's like oh shit like i am uncovering something major here and uh on top of that the fact that joe thompson hadn't been married in 1947 Mm -hmm. when this child was born and that the somerton man had her phone number and had written it on this piece of paper in his pocket uh and the i mean this is just conjecture but the potential you know saying it's on mosley street where she lived you know also and the fact that she had a copy of this book that she had lost or given Mm -hmm. away also just very suspicious a very sus i'm so sorry very sus sus yeah for sure so so when astonishing legends folks talk to abbott he said he believed 99.9 percent that robin was the somerton man's son i mean that's some incredible investigate investigative skills right there yeah wow to be able to find i mean and the the similarities are like striking just the genetic anomalies the fact that like you can yeah uh, it's pretty wild i mean statistically speaking it's pretty wild wow so obviously uh, yeah he did great uh so good job abbott so of course now abbott begins to research into whether robin had any children because he's trying to find anybody who can kind of he can talk to yeah so this is where it becomes sort of like a soap opera okay so he finds a woman named rachel egan now, Rachel had been put up for adoption by her parents, Robin and Roma, when she was a baby. And she later said to ABC News, I grew up not knowing I was adopted. However, there were many aspects of me and my adoptive family that were very different. I always had a passion for ballet and dance and theater, and I always wondered where that came from. What? By the way, I didn't know being a ballerina or was a ballet genetic. was so genetic, because now I'm just going to say that's why I'm not really coordinated or good at anything because my genes aren't you know <laughs> right why do i have such a genetic predisposition to ice cream and thanks steak? a lot mom and dad that you Ugh. did this to me and i have no choice in the matter at why all. couldn't i care about like triathlons <laughs> jesus as- as- i almost said asparagus asper <laughs> asparagus i can't even say vegetables right oh my god oh it's so sad so uh she said uh, in her early 20s rachel's birth mother roma who was robin's partner got in contact with her and revealed that she had been dancing with the australian ballet in new zealand when she when she met robin and fell pregnant with rachel they had put her up for adoption seemingly to focus on their dance careers and after being reconnected rachel moved to brisbane to be closer to her biological mother so in 2009 abbott contacts rachel and is like i'd love to meet up and discuss uh the somerton man who's potentially your bio granddad Mm. that you know this mystery is kind of coming together So Abbott flew to Brisbane, where, according to Rachel, she collected him from the airport, and they spent a few days together looking at photos and sharing information. However, it wasn't just information they shared, because as Rachel would go on to say in a 60 Minutes documentary, it turned out that we'd had a lot of similarities with our upbringings. Like me, he wasn't planned, his parents were quite young, and they were students, and by the end of the weekend, Derek had proposed to her. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. So now it's Derek Abbott and the Summerton <laughs> man's potential granddaughter who he's been researching for all these years. So just a wild turn of events. And everyone was a bit weirded out by this because it's like, wait, you were researching this woman uh-huh. and now you're like marrying her after a weekend? Like it was just a pretty weird turn of events. So that worked real quick. Maybe there was like some quick agreement of like, 
I can only tell you if we're married. <gasps> oh, and then he was like, like I'll marry double, the shit out of you. What's I, that thing where you can't testify against your spouse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like maybe he was like, I have been hunting this story for far too long to end now. Like, that's not going to be what <laughs> so stops me. I'm going to like legally bind myself to you, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so everyone was weirded out, especially Jerry Feltis, you know, of Jarek fame, because mm. He said, I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, what the hell is going on here? Has this guy <laughs> married this girl to just try and pursue his DNA subject? Truly. And, I, that's right? what I was like. It's not that far-fetched with everything else I'm hearing. So With all of the... Yeah, exactly. So side note, according to CaliforniaSunday.com, it seems Feltis and Abbott have just developed a lot of beef with one another. Uh-huh. So to quote Abbott, he hates my guts about oh. Jerry. And uh, okay. they both spend vast amounts of time tracking the same clues, collecting the same Rubaiyat copies to try and, you know, find the one, I guess, that was missing, and scrutinizing the same photos, but they do not speak to each other. And uh, Feltus regards Abbott as a grade A pest and a bane of serious investigators. <laughs> wow. So they are frenemies, except without the FR part. They're just enemies. <laughs> um, sorry for Jarek lovers. Sorry for all the Jarek stands who just oh. are not happy right all now. The, all the Jarek fan fiction out there needs to be put to oh. an end. Oh, it's really sad, I know. <laughs> so this is where I was going to say, just to clarify, Abbott's not just some random dude. Like, he literally has a PhD, all this business. So, you know, he he has some cred, okay? Where, where credit is due, I want to give it to him. So now uh, Abbott and Rachel are still together. They have three children and oh they're like, happily married. And Abbott says, the fact that my family is now entwined with the Somerton man makes things perhaps a bit more complicated. But as a scientist, when I do my work and my scientific research, I have to be neutral about things. I have to be dispassionate. Whereas Rachel has said, quote, he wanted to look at my ears and my teeth. <laughs> And then he said, I do. (laughs) And then I said, I do for some unexplained reason. She said he wanted to look at my ears and my teeth. He was also after my DNA. It's probably the first request I've had from a man to do that. Anyway, now we're happily married with three children. So how odd to be like, I I must know your DNA and also mix it with mine. So now we just carry on this creepy legacy. Biologically related to the Somerton man. Or at least my children are. So pretty wild stuff. Um, pretty fascinating. Listen, love is blind. Love is mysterious. Nobody knows. Uh, I don't judge. So this is pretty wild. So the relationship flourished, but the case, unfortunately, hasn't really made much headway. Uh, Derek Abbott's last step has been to seek opportunities to prove that his wife is the Somerton man's granddaughter through DNA testing. And fortunately, so he, he's wanted to have the body exhumed, but the Australian government keeps denying it. Just because they're like, that's kind of, we try not, we try to avoid that, right? Uh-huh. Like, unless yeah. there's some serious reason. Um, however, he actually was able to find, he is sort of a breakthrough. He found, the, you know, the plaster bust that the taxidermist made? Yeah. They used the actual body to do that. So that he found three hairs of the actual Summerton man on the bust. Why doesn't he just trace? Why doesn't he just he use did. DNA? Oh, perfect. He did. So that happened in 2018, I think, or 2017. Um, and so, you know, obviously that takes a while. They did eventually uh, obtain a high-definition analysis of the mitochondrial DNA, you know, as you do, mm-hmm. from the hair sample. And they found that he and his mother, so Summerton Man and his mother, belonged to haplogroup H4A1A1A, which is possessed by only 1% of Europeans. But I don't know what that means for the case, really. I mean, maybe it's still 
gotcha. a link somewhere. I'm not sure. But he was able to find and test those hairs, which I thought was really cool. Can you imagine if you die and then you're like a random person is so obsessed with your mysterious death that they marry your granddaughter? And like, oh God, it's true, though. It's so weird. He, he's probably like, what the fuck is he's going like, on down is, there? He's probably like, I was just smoking a cigarette and I accidentally got too drunk and fell asleep on the beach. And now yeah. everyone's like, <laughs> people are freaking out. <laughs> yeah. So really odd turn of events. Um so in kind of a sweet ending, he said he owes a lot to the Somerton man and in their household on the walls, you'll find portraits of Joe and the Somerton man next to one another because he believes they were had a thing, whether it was a an affair or like a quick affair, a long affair, one night stand, whatever. Um, it's pretty clear that she was probably impregnated by him because the statistics of this are just too kind of wild mm-hmm. to suggest otherwise. So he says, the Somerton man has brought me to the place I am today. I have the children I love and might not have existed if it wasn't for him, which technically is true. So. (laughs) Wow. So one day you'll get to say that about like Mothman's grandchild. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that my children have wings is all due to my love for my queer icon, Mothman himself. (laughs) If it weren't for my love of Mothman, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have the beautiful and fucked up life that I have and also no friends left because I got really weird in the last couple of years. Um, yes, um, thank you. I'm so glad you finally are just fully understanding my lifestyle. So to this day, the identity of the Summerton man is a mystery, as is the reason he was on the beach, as is the reason he wound up dead or even how he wound up dead. Mm-hmm. There are so many theories that like you have to listen to this podcast if you want to find out all the rabbit holes because the they go down every rabbit hole in Astonishing Legends. Like, they will take every little piece. I mean, they interview these guys. Like, they're so in-depth with their research that it's four, you know, two-hour episodes on this, just this. So really well done. A um, lot of rabbit holes. I will tell you the most common theories are, A, that he was a spy. Again, we're post-World War II, tensions with Soviet Union. And soon after the Somerton Man's body was found, there would be a crackdown on Soviet espionage, espionage in Australia. So this was a thing that was kind of happening in the area Mm. there were also the odd details like the expensive cigarettes hidden in a cheap box uh the tags removed from his clothing the code on the paper right so some people believe he was a spy another theory is that the somerton man had returned to town either he knew joe he and joe had had a child or he heard that joe had fallen pregnant after they had hooked up and he knew maybe this robin was his potential son and he went to town to meet the child or confront wow. her or something like that i mean he had his suitcase he had his t- train tickets maybe he was in town to kind of i don't know reunite with her or meet his son and he may have been either killed or died by suicide and there is some eyewitness testimony that supports this saying that a neighbor had seen a strange man banging on joe's door and when she didn't answer he went to a couple neighbors to ask like where she was so oh. and it was a guy nobody recognized on mosley street so wow. it's potential that Whoa. he f- traveled there and was like, I want to figure out what's going on. I heard she has a child and it could be mine or, you know, who knows? That's conjecture, but could be. Now, one of the most, more interesting ones I heard was that it could have had to do with the black market because, you know, during wartime, things were so like supplies were so hard to get a hold of. It turns out they so there were taxis. So taxis were used a lot of times in the, these black market sales 
And Joe's husband, Prosper, the father of Robin, mm-hmm. on paper at least, was a taxi driver and was known as the man who could get you anything. And some people believe he was a black marketeer, which is what they called a black market racketeer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this wasn't necessarily like really sinister. It was just like, oh, he would help you get eggs and yeah he's your uh, egg guy he's your bucket guy guy. he's your yeah or like you know extra sanitary napkin whatever you need like you know it doesn't necessarily mean sinister it's just like it was really hard to get supplies uh, Mm -hmm. back then rations and that kind of thing and there was some evidence that the somerton man worked at sea and could have been a black marketeer himself so some people believe this was a love triangle like prosper the somerton man and joe all knew each other and oh. maybe Joe slept with this guy that, like, was Prosper's friend ah. or, or like, business or something. Maybe they knew each other and maybe she slept with him and then Prosper had him killed when he came back to town. I mean, not to cast aspersions on Prosper, as they said on the other podcast. But, you know, there are a lot of rabbit holes and theories you could go down as to, like, how right. he got involved with these people. Maybe they met. Maybe she was a spy and she had him killed. Maybe he was a spy and he got too close to somebody uh, who knows there's a lot of mysterious um theories in most recent news the pandemic has actually brought some traction to the case which is cool hmm. so a virtual reality specialist named daniel Voshart, whose credits include star trek discovery recently joined forces with Derek abbott and genealogist colleen fitzpatrick and they've been working to construct the somerton man virtually oh. and yeah and so he explains one of the things i've been doing uh, while I had this time off during this layoff was to test the software and I was testing it for forensic uses. Mm. So this is like super cool. I mean, I hope they are able to kind of crack down some cases here or crack some cases with this technology because it sounds really neat. Um, he said he used all the collected info from the case, the body cast of the body and made an eerily similar copy of the famous photograph. And he says, where I come in and my interpretation comes in is using my intuition on how features might look from a different angle, what might happen when sunken eyes are opened. And he continues, a large part of it was curiosity on my own end just to figure out what this man did look like. Another part of it was, can it jog someone's memory? Mm. So that's where we stand. Hopefully somebody's like, oh, that looks like my grandpa or my great grandpa or who knows. But um, maybe or maybe some war that code cracker woman said something like maybe a country will after 100 years a country will in 1948 will release some records that identify him you know who knows but hopefully we solve this case eventually wow that's a great story oh sorry that was i mean really long i'm so sorry that's okay mine was long too wow on a good roll of keeping them concise not anymore <laughs> oh well we both Oops. also showed up real chatty today so we did we did so uh yeah that's the case i've been so amped about doing this for a long time and um man that, that that's what got me into podcasts this story wow well Weird, maybe huh? this is going to be the one that gets someone else into a podcast oh that's fun That'd be a fun little uh, pass it along. Maybe we'll have sushi and beer with them someday and it'll be all a cycle. Maybe they'll wear like a third love bra because <laughs> of they'll, our they'll show. show me at the sushi bar. <laughs> Look, I bought this with your code. As Terry Carnation says, they'll show all three of their boobs. Like how, at once. Ro- how sweet. What a full whole heart. What a what a um, heartwarming circle that would be. Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in. And uh, you can see, find all of our socials at ATWWD Podcast. Follow us on Patreon. Uh, our website is andthatswhydrink.com, where you can submit uh, topic suggestions and your personal stories for our listeners' episodes. And yeah, 
I think that's it. Uh, my throat hurts from talking, and that hasn't happened in a while. So, wow. My Postmates is going to be here in 10 minutes. So Oh, amazing. You were ordering Postmates <laughs> while I was talking? Rude. I already had picked out all of my options before uh-huh, we started uh-huh. recording. I'm not kidding. Everybody picked... go back and see if you can find the point where Em was ordering Postmates. <laughs> my, my phone's been down here the whole time, but I picked it out when we were uh, just talking before we recorded. And then at the halfway... That's smart. At my guesstimate of your halfway point, I like only pressed like order and that was That's it. That's smart. <laughs> the guesstimate. I hope you weren't totally off because this is a long story. Apparently not. It's going to be here in 10 minutes. That's so. actually perfect. Well, I'm going to go get my dog and then maybe order Postmates too. So. Okay. Yay. And? That's? Why? We? Drink. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.